0: Nystrom, Nystrom's
1: really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstom. Somebody better help Sandstom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions.
0: You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing
1: about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-Card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what we should do. Run him up and fill him in. Then why don't you? The kids don't want it. They don't skate, they don't score, they don't hit, they don't fight, they float. They don't love to win. They don't hate to lose. They're
1: spinning, spinning. Who's he going to go after? The puck drops and broadband goes right to game
0: But just a minute. Al Arbor has won Mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. Take care. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer talk. Proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network and I'm your host, Joe Lizito. Yes, uh, we're back here. I'm back. Uh, This is episode number 141. Uh, We're going back off the island. And part two of my chat with Ivan Matulik. Now, part one. uh, Let's see here. Part one of this. (laughs) I mean, it's just been. Oh, my God. I I don't even know what to say. It's uh, part one I posted back in November. I mean, it's. It's. i apologize um i'll go into it in a a few minutes but uh part one i posted back in november and this is part two and really uh i guess for the most part i did ivan the most disservice here by uh not posting them um closer together it's really just um well i'll get to it and uh we'll, we'll go from there um as you know, I'm on social media. Uh, I'm on Twitter, which is X, I guess, Facebook and Instagram. Um, so do me a favor if you're interested on, in connecting on any, I'm just really unprepared for this. Uh, I thought I had a plan going in and now I've thrown myself off. So I apologize. Um, if you want to connect on social media, please reach out and, uh, and we'll become, uh, Twitter friends, Facebook friends, Instagram pals, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, reach out I will uh, return the favor in kind also if you have an art project that needs to be done if you have an art project that needs to be done (laughs) I just oh my god I'm not even going to start this over folks I'm just not I'm just not uh if you like the logo that is the logo for the show that was done by local Long Island artist, Joe Maricich. And if you have an art project that needs doing, and you want it done by a first-class artist and a first-class human being, reach out to Joe on Twitter at graphicsjoker or via loudegg.com. Uh, as I said earlier, I am a, one of the lines I didn't flub. I'm a proud member of the hockey podcast network on the original content side. Um, well, it's funny because I originally touted us as the four horsemen of the hockey podcast network and uh slowly but surely it's becoming one not permanently but recently the one constant the one horseman that you folks can depend on is Darren at the Fourth Line Voice he's the OG he is uh he's the rock not the uh, not Dwayne Johnson but the rock the one you can count on for content um <laughs> I mean, he's, uh, he's the man, he's the man. He's the guy, uh, week after week, you know, you never know with me or, uh, the other guys, but, uh, Darren is there like old man river, uh, episode number 352 titled new year, same show. Uh, that's been out for about a week, uh, now I think week and a half and I listened to it the first day it's out as I tend to do. Uh, I think he was just kind of bringing everyone up to speed on a lot of things, uh, and one of the things he said, um, pertains to his YouTube channel. He he wants to really, uh, monetize that again. And it sounds like he's got some pretty cool stuff planned, uh, for this upcoming year on his YouTube channel, uh, sort of something that goes along with his, uh, his show. And, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly, it sounds like it could be something really cool. So, um, you know old reliable fourth line voice podcast check him out on this network uh one of the stars in the network uh shining star along with Terry Ryan and um and like I said also check out his YouTube channel now the next guy I don't know what's going on I just logged on to Twitter because it's been a minute since he has an episode out and when I went to go to his Twitter page it's not there and I know recently there's been another A batch of I don't even want to say a batch of incidents with the East Coast Hockey League because it's really just one-sided with with them and Alec Um, once again Alec his passion for the East Coast Hockey League is unmatched and promotes the league even when he doesn't have support from the league and they're putting in copyright strikes against him nobody else just him and I know that He reached out to uh, a few people with the league and the league itself, and nobody responds. It's sort of like, I don't know, like, are you five? Are you fucking five years old? You got a fan, one of the biggest fans of your league, one of the guys who's promoted your league more than anyone over the last four or five years, and you can't even fucking answer a tweet or a direct message or a phone call or an email. I mean, what, what are you doing? Like, are you a fucking infant? it's it's fucking embarrassing if these people are grown men uh with children it, it it's fucking embarrassing it's just they're infants i guess well i don't know what happened but i do know that his twitter page is not up right now so i don't know if uh if they did something and and got his twitter, whole twitter page taken down i mean if that's the case then oh my god it, these these people should not be running Anything that is a professional, anything. I mean, they couldn't run a lemonade stand if that's the case. I mean, it, it's, wow, it's just wild. Well, anyway, um, I don't know what's up with his uh, Twitter page, but the Five for Fighting podcast still exists now. Alec recently said there will be a hiatus. He is moving to Tennessee, I believe. Uh, Alec tends to move, it seems like, every two years or so, and I'm wondering if he's on the lamp. I I know he's ex-military, so I wonder if this is uh, an ex-military thing where he's just um, trying to or supposed to keep a low profile, and uh, he doesn't know how to do that. So now he's on the move again, but he's not supposed to tell people where he's moving. Um, But anyway, uh, I wish Alec all the luck in his move to Tennessee and uh i'm looking forward to the return of the show but uh, hopefully this thing with the east coast hockey league is uh, hopefully i'm completely wrong as far as this goes but uh who knows with the history there i i tell you what alec is a is a much better man than i am when it comes to this because i know how much he loves the league and i would still enjoy the product because it's not the players fault that the people running the league are fucking babies uh, so I'd still watch the games, but I wouldn't promote the league anymore. That's, that's unbelievable. Well, I guess it's very believable nowadays. They're 10 plus soft, I guess, but, um, anyway, uh, stay tuned for, uh, upcoming episodes of the five for fighting podcast. Hopefully the first episode will, uh, he'll get to the bottom of this and, uh, also check out the five for fighting YouTube channel and uh i know i don't know what's going on with jordan the five in a game podcast i don't know i know he was out west i'm assuming he's home and uh, hopefully we'll get some uh some episodes from jordan coming up jordan covers uh the quebec major junior league and the quebec uh senior league uh so the lneh so yeah so like i said there was a while where we were going strong as a four horseman now it's uh Darren, and three substitute teachers. So hopefully uh, everyone will get back on track there. Um, So yeah, so listen, I'm going to apologize to everybody. Um, I know I've discussed this before. This is not, uh, and I'm sorry for just clearing my throat. There's been some some stuff going on in in my life that um, precluded me from from doing this from really doing anything it just kind of zap my energy and like i said the last time i discussed this uh it's it's not a great situation but it could be a lot worse uh i my my family's fine my kids are healthy my wife is good family's great so uh, you know the important things which to me are always family uh that's all good my my like i said kids are great. Wife's great. Family structure's great. Everything is good. So, uh, that the important stuff is taken care of, uh, with me, it's always something with finances, uh, financial with finances. And, um, my biggest thing is, uh, I am just, uh, I, I take one step forward. I end up going five steps back and, you know, it, it's, the problem I'm describing right now, probably a lot of you are going through the same thing, so you can relate. And uh, so my my issue right now is not unique to me, and uh, I'm sure a lot of us are struggling. And the biggest thing with, with me right now is uh, I'm having a hard time trying to even catch up. And I'm trying my best to find uh, remote work. Uh I have a good job. My full-time job is a good job. Uh the issue with that is that it the hours change every week and I can't find a part-time job that would work around my full-time job hours, which is understandable because um if I'm looking for a part-time job, they don't really care what my full-time job responsibilities are, they only care about their company, which makes sense. So I've been trying to find some remote work that I can do either on my days off from my full-time job or around my full-time job hours. And it's not easy because, you know, there's a lot of shitty people in the world out there and everyone's got a scam going. So um, I would say most of the stuff that I've looked into, I don't look into very long because um, most of it you could tell right away is bullshit. So, Um, it's not for lack of trying. I am trying to, uh, to do my best here and, um, eventually try to catch up, try to, you know, maybe cut back on certain things and whatever. But the issue with, with me personally is when I have something going on, I tend to keep it to myself. Which is, someone actually said this to me, the irony is that I'm the first person to try to help everyone with their problems, um, which I am, and I take pride in that because I I want to be there for my friends. Uh, but I'm also the very first person to just close myself in when the issue is with me. Uh, I'm not one that wants to burden anyone with my issues. Uh, this is probably more than I've spoken about it with anybody, and I keep it to myself, and then it becomes all-consuming, and then it just is this giant fucking specter over my head, this sword of Damocles over my head that I can't escape, and it takes away all my enthusiasm for everything. This show is something I get a lot of enjoyment from, and even that... I, I just have no energy to do, and and just to give you an idea. So these these episodes here, like the ones with Ivan tonight, these are episodes that have, that have been recorded already. I recorded this episode back when I had my Nordiques podcast. So it really was just a question of getting up, getting my ass set on the on the laptop, and recording an intro like this. And it still took me what six weeks to get my ass in gear to get this episode out. It's its embarrassing, but that's what happens with me is I just, it just devours me. It devours every ounce of fun or drive desire that I have. And you know, if, and I keep it from people, I survive. I go to work every day. I, I do My normal stuff to try to keep up appearances. I mean, I go to work every day because I have to go to work every day. Uh, But everything else, it's more like just keeping up appearances um, because I don't want to talk about it. And um, But that's why you have this long um, chasm of time that, uh, between episodes. And I apologize for that. Now I know nobody's sitting out there going, my life hasn't been the same without your episodes, but I do know that there are people out there that, that really enjoy the show and I enjoy doing the show. So for those people that, uh, enjoy the content, I do apologize again. And I hope that I will be on somewhat of a regular schedule going forward. Now, um, I don't see any end in sight to this issue that I'm going through right now. So um, I may have some more bumps in the road. I anticipate more bumps in the road. So there could be some more time frames where I'm not putting out content and I'll apologize in advance for that. But I always try to remain optimistic. I always try to feel like things will work themselves out with a little hard work and uh positive attitude, You know, putting it out there. So I'm hoping that uh, that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And if there is, then, like I said, I can kind of get back to being myself all the time and, uh, you know, see where that goes. But uh, for those of you that have inquired and I've been kind of um, not, not forthcoming, this is basically the reason why, um, you know, it's easy to work through when it's not. A family member that's going through something i mean it's difficult to work through but uh i think if it was someone in my family that was going through something uh that would absolutely there there wouldn't even be this little bit of an episode but uh well anyway i know i'm rambling right now but basically that's why that's what the issue has been and that is why there has been a severe lack of content so like I said, I am uh, I'm staying positive, as positive as I can be. I'm going to keep trying to find something for extra income. Uh, what do they call that? A side hustle? Is that what the kids call it now? Um, I wish my sons were here right now. They'd roll their eyes and laugh at me. But um, just trying to find something on the side that I can do to earn some extra money. And hopefully that'll come to fruition at some point. And then um, I can start to, like I said, be myself. So uh, just uh, if you're someone that believes in uh, positive attitudes and positive outlooks and positive vibes and prayers or whatever it is, you know, just send some my way because I could definitely use them and I'm happy to accept them from everybody. So as far as the show goes, if you listen to this show and you listen to the fourth line voice, I will say due to my lack of content. Darren has said probably for the last six or seven weeks that I have an interview coming up with someone who many consider a minor league legend, uh, myself included. I don't really have a minor league Mount Rushmore because I can't narrow it down to four. Uh, I probably have six or seven, and he is one of my six or seven. Uh, it is an interview with someone who uh, I believe has never done uh, an interview before. I think he's done one interview with um, uh, his a friend of his son. No, a friend of his, that friend's son. And it was more of a pretty basic interview, not as detailed as the one we're doing. So Darren has mentioned that, and I'd like to tell you that he is correct. Now, the issue with why this is taking so long is that, unfortunately, I wish everybody who did the job of enforcer never had to work after hockey. Uh, But, unfortunately, this gentleman does have a full-time job, and I have a full-time job. So that eliminates a lot of opportunities where we can sit down and record. So we've recorded three times already. We have probably... I'm going to say probably almost four hours of content already, and we're about 75% done. It's going to be a great interview. It already is. I've had to, um, based on where he lives, the connection is a little bit spotty at times. So I've actually had to go back and edit out a lot of stuff. There's sort of delays and its um kind of glitches out at, at spots, and I never really do that, but it was happening a lot in this interview, so i've gone back and i've edited about two thirds of what we've had what we've recorded already, and he's he's a great guest it's going you're going to love it, trust me um we're actually going to try today and, and we we set up times that's the thing we set up times uh i think two weeks ago we had a day and a time set up and then i was under the weather um then today we were going to do it but then he had to stay at work late so we're just having a hard time matching up but i promise you you know who this guy is if you're a fight fan you know who this guy is if you follow uh well i'd say the American League follow the ihl you know this know who this guy is and he did have a cup of coffee in the nhl so um i w- i promise you it will be worth the wait we we should have it done with one more session that is uh my goal one more session we'll finish it it will be at least two episodes it might be three but I just wanted to clear that up because like I said Darren for the past month and a half has been talking about this interview that I have coming. Yes, we are almost there. So um I can't wait for it to be done really because we're hitting the crescendo of his career. That's the that's the next uh session that we'll have and I really can't wait to get to this part, but really I can't wait to bring it to you people because I think you're going to really love it. So um so that is on the that is on the horizon and um like i said what I, I have to do is you know get back on the horse here get this episode out to you and then do my best to bring you content every week it's really my goal it's what i what i pride myself in but i have failed you as of late and i do apologize but i promise you that interview that i'm working on right now um it's going to be awesome it's going to be great and <laughs> again not because of me it's i'm just the guy that serves up the questions trust me the interview is going to be great because of the guests so um thank you everybody for your patience uh it means a lot to me that you stick with me and uh and i appreciate it thank you to the network for uh not uh not kicking me to the curb and uh thank you for everybody who's messaged me or uh Texting me, whatever, and, and just wondering how I'm doing. So uh, so thank you, everybody. Uh, keep sending positive vibes my way, and hopefully we'll right this ship. And uh, after these commercial messages, I bring you part two of my chat with Ivan Matulik. And I already talked about Ivan uh, in part one. He's a man I respect greatly. He's a man that's gone through a ton of shit to try to achieve his dream. And um, and he's a monstrous Seinfeld fan, which you'll find out. So uh, stay tuned after these messages. Everybody out there, please stay safe. Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code THPN. New customers can get 150 bucks instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort, 21+, plus age varies by jurisdiction, Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. We talked about your Oilers training camps. This is a team that's Stanley Cup champions, full of great players. Quebec at the time... Not quite there, okay? They were building. They were building towards something. But what Quebec had and what they are known for in their training camps, it's just absolute wars. And and you've seen it. You've seen the training camps where you have the younger enforcers coming up, trying to make a name for themselves. The thing with Quebec was you had legitimate enforcers, guys who have NHL resumes, and they're still fighting for jobs. So you're in that camp with Quebec Tony Twist is already established. John Kordick, already established. Stephen Finn, hard-nosed defenseman. You got, you know, Van Dorp is there. Herb Raglan is there. Owen Nolan, the young kid on the block. Then you bring in these young guys like Kenny McRae and Killer. Marcin is there. Sergio Berge is there. Um, Martin Samard, Mike but- I don't know if Butter's ended up in Quebec camp, but he was there. He was, the there, yeah. okay. was there, yeah. Uh, Daniel Dore, Bird yeah. Dog is there. Santa Pass. What? So your only
1: experience? Hey, can I can I out a name there? Yeah. Chris Simon. Chris oh, he Simon wasn't there.
0: I don't think he was there. Your first year.
1: Second year he was. Second so year he the, was there. So, year, so yeah, 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 yeah.
0: first year. Oh, trust yeah. me, I'm not. I'll yes. never forget about yes. Uh Danny yeah. Chasse was there. Danny so, Chasse. So tell me, you go from the Oilers training camp, and you go, and this. I mean, I literally have a DVD that's like an hour long of just. Quebec training camp fights against each other and like I say you're out there you see a Tony you got these monsters like Tony Twist and John Cordick Serge Burst. then you got a guy like Killer that wants to fight all of them this maniac out there yeah Greg Smith I mean give me your memories of these Quebec training camps
1: it was insane. Like I mean, I, 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 we we got split into, I believe, four teams. Each team was named by uh, one of the ex alumni, big name players. Mm-hmm. The camp took place uh, at the university uh, arena, mm-hmm. and our scrimmages. I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if there was four thousand people, mm-hmm. you know, watching this, because they knew each scrimmage would st- like start off with at least two or three fights. First two or three chefs, and some more to follow if if required. The so we played. There was great players. It was good hockey, but it was the 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 enforcers had the uh, the the spectacle was unreal. I mean, they they were going at it before the season even started. Fall out just to try to earn the right to be in the full season fights. Yeah. So. I'm glad you mentioned Kevin Kaminsky, man. Oh,
0: Killer. We're, we're, trust me, Killer. We're going to talk a lot about oh, Killer. Okay. Okay, yeah, we're going to yeah. talk. But and the thing that I find that, and like I said, when Tony Twist was coming up with St. Louis, Todd Ewan was the resident enforcer. And and basically, what it was was Todd was having to fend off Tony Twist and Kelly Chase and all these young kids coming up. But it wasn't that Todd Ewan was fighting Dave Richter or the other veteran guys. It was just these were the young guns coming to take take Todd's job. In Quebec, I mean, Tony, like I said, guys like Tony Twist, John Cordick, they're already proven commodities. Serge Robert is already a proven commodity, but now he wants to get up to the NHL. So Serge going after a guy like a Twist or a Cordick or a Herb Raglin or a Dorpy, like you said, that makes sense. But you got guys like Twist and Cordick, their resume's already
1: set, and they're still fighting each other. Yeah, it was uh, mind-boggling. But that, you know what? To, to, be, to be fair, that was really honorable of them to give the guys a shot. Absolutely. Like I mean, they, they, they they could have said, you know what, I got bigger fish to fry. Now but I gotta save my knuckles for the season. But they were not shying away. They 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 obliged. So it made it a very entertaining, and uh, uh, you get, you know, that I earned, you know, you, they earned so much respect from me and any, any other player seeing they go, to go through what they did, mm-hmm. just to be. Able to get to the show and 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 now really get paid for it and get recognized because this is no recognition. Mm-hmm. Having six fights in, in in a preseason, for for you may you may or may not make it, right?
0: Yeah, I bet by this camp you were happy to have read the stat pack and know who's who in the zoo, as you said. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Oh, I've been around long enough to know who, who to bark at or who not to. Yeah, so it was, it was good.
0: I bet you didn't leave Matt Sundin alone. <laughs>
1: Everybody was safe. <laughs>
0: I'm I'm just picturing nineteen uh, year old Ivan Matulik skating around this Quebec camp poking twist or Cordic and whatever saying, Let's go
1: No, no, I I, I think it was twenty one already at twenty two going in there, but uh, still there was no poking anybody. <laughs> I I, pl- I played hard, I, t- I tried to but I knew my I knew my limitations and I wasn't gonna make the team in that category for sure. Right. First of all, I would've got hurt most times eight out of ten times and secondly those guys were professionals at it and i couldn't do it mentally like i i i looked at it because size wise i i am 6'1 2, 2'10", 2'15", Like 215 but mentally to be able to do that night in night out ah it takes a different breed and different commitment man like it's uh it's uh those guys are uh, a different species man that's for sure
0: now speaking like you said different breed um the guys that do this for a living um whenever you hear them in interviews and everything, they don't want to be known just as an enforcer, just as a fighter. They want to be known as a player. And and I'm with you, there's nobody that makes the NHL, even if they make it as an enforcer, that's just there for their fist. Because there's plenty of guys you know firsthand that played in the American League or the East Coast League that could fight and they never made it to the NHL. So I, I'm not you know, I'm I agree with you. If you have one NHL game on your resume and you and you made it as a fighter there's 50 guys who never made one game so it's because you could play also tony twist he loved the role he's the he's one of the few guys who relished the role who trained for the role and wanted to be that guy so he's sort of a he is one of as if you put all these guys in a blender he's he is the different breed did you get to spend much time with him during any training camps
1: not much. I mean, he was super nice. We played cards a couple of times. He got me nicknamed nickname Tulip. He liked the, you know, he was, We <laughs> was, he were, you know what? Even to all this fighting he was always full of smiles, always yep. in a good mood. Like Twister was always joy to be around. Mm-hmm. Like yep. he was never grumpy. Yeah. So I, I did enjoy playing cards with him and, and stuff. But uh, clearly uh, once I got cut from the camp, I haven't, I haven't seen him. Like I've seen him in the camp, following camp again, I think. Yeah. Is it a second time? I'm not sure, but uh, very, very, lots, lots of fun to be around. That's mm-hmm. that's what I remember. Which is uh, uh, even th- that's a feat on its own. Knowing what you face every every night, or you know what's coming your way, mm-hmm. to be at ease and, 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 and not be grumpy all the time.
0: Yeah, and with him, it's not even being at ease. It's like some guys don't sleep the afternoon nap because of who they're going to face. He's probably looking at the clock, going, "Let's go, let's go."
1: probably yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and, and i gotta ask about cordic because obviously everybody knows the tragic story of him and you were in the camp with him did you ever have any experiences with john
1: johnny uh yeah i did i mean i i i i said to this day i think he was a really good person down deep uh he was so nice to me like he when he was with montreal still i was in edmonton and he's edmonton boy and I remember uh, skating a couple times with the uh, NHL guys just trying to get get in the, in the shape and all that stuff and running into him. Um, and uh, spending one night, where we, we went out. I mean, I, I, he was never my teammate or anything, but we ended up hooking up with the Northlands, like a Klondike or something. We ran into each other. He goes, let's go out. And we went out and went to, went to the casino and hung out the whole night a couple, couple more times. And then uh, every time I ran into him after that, Always made made sure to stop, you know what he was doing, and we we spent a few minutes talking. So, I I have great memories of him as a genuine genuine person. That's what I remember of Johnny. So after the Quebec training
0: camp, you end up in Halifax, and uh, this cast the characters here. Um, I'm going to save the best for last because I got a lot of stuff from him. So let's start with Kevin Kaminsky, who I love. Killer, we're, we're good buddies. I love Killer. I, I don't want to say Killer's not the best. But it, in the Ivan Matulik story, I'm saving the best for last. Uh, so please give me whatever memories you have about Killer.
1: Killer, yeah. Killer, in my opinion, kind of epitomizes the Canadian hockey player spirit. To, to that guy, size means nothing. It says the heart that, that, that defines what you're going to be and what you're going to achieve. and with the, the two years I played with the guy when I've seen him making it and getting the shot that he deserved with the Washington seems to be the team that kind of found a, mm-hmm. found a spot for these guys like killer. I was cheering like a biggest fan because he was the ultimate teammate. And he, he would be like, if, if he had to put his freaking soul down, lay his soul down, he would, he would have done that. I saw him fight guys twice his size not getting the better of him by any means in coming back until he did like he, he was like the you know they say there's a very very few guys that can make the navy seals or, or you know sas or he's that that type of a personality I, I i think that there's nothing that's going to stop him from coming back he was like like terminator man like literally like a little terminator man and uh an awesome teammate once again you could see uh, I, I, I'm friends with him on Facebook so I don't, we, don't, we don't talk much but just occasionally I comment on his picture like it. Mm. He's a great family guy. He still gives the hockey everything he can so um, nothing but time for Killer. I'm hoping that we, I run into him again one day.
0: Okay. Um, I have something here from Killer about you but we're going to save that. I'm going to group everyone together for the crescendo to your Halifax story here. Uh, tell me about Ken McRae.
1: Trigger. If I played with Trigger more games, I would have been in the show. So, Trigger, you sort of backed me up, man. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what a player. What a player. Just, uh, you know, like, some guys make you make players around them better, and he was one of those guys. I wasn't fortunate enough to be hanging around his line too long, but when I had my little hot streaks uh, occasionally, it was when I was put online with him and tough. So, it's, it, was, it was a tough combination because he, now he's in a category. He's, he's a decent size. He can play. He can fight. Which one is it that is going to get him up there? You know, everybody wants to be a player. So he, he got kind of caught again, once again. NHL skill. NHL toughness needed to be right place, right time. He would have had a very successful NHL career, in my opinion. Great teammate.
0: Uh, I asked uh, I asked uh, Trigger about you. He said, uh, just a real solid guy and teammate. We played together on a line for bits and pieces when Clement would throw the lines into the blender. One thing I remember was that Ivan was in phenomenal shape and cut from stone. Always liked his Slovak accent, and we had some fun with his broken English. We had some fun <laughs> in the locker room with all the beauties on that Citadel's team. So, you know. <laughs> uh,
1: Feelings mutual, Trigger. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you had fun with his Canadian accent, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Daniel Dory.
1: Danny. You know, Danny, once again, we had that little francophone and English division there, a little bit there, despite of all, all the team building. And I think Danny was uh, uh, a proud Quebecois, like mm-hmm. Quebecois, yeah. and inheriting that uh, for number one draft choice and not very panning out, did not sit well with him. I don't think necessarily. Uh, this is not to be mean. That his skill level was there to be uh, what he was built to be, and then it was tough to be carrying that. You know, uh, he was not a bad guy. I mean, I never got to know him. Right, he, right. Didn't really, uh, he didn't really. He uh, didn't really interact with the team in the way that Killer Trigger and, and other guys did, and uh, so I, I don't know. I have nothing bad to say about him. I just uh, felt that uh, he carried the burden that he could not handle he couldn't carry it you know it was it was tough and i think he was i think he was battling to enjoy too so expectations injuries uh the, the, the environment we were in that you know competing for, for for spots yeah not much i can say yeah. good good or bad i mean I, I, I don't know
0: um one thing i didn't know before i started doing the show was i had no idea his back was as bad as it was and you know playing with a bad back i mean you know i think your back and your abs they're so important to an athlete um and the other thing is i can't imagine the pressure of being a french canadian player being a number one pick of quebec especially during that time it's got to be and and never being healthy it's got to be unbelievable
1: 100 percent. and if you're not healthy as you said your, your, your back basically it's a dynamo for the rest of your your body so now you are trying to live up to being number one draft choice in a quebec province as a quebecois he had a lot on his freaking plate man Mm -hmm. like now that i i I didn't know uh, when he were when we were playing i didn't know he was injured
0: yeah
1: and of course as it be as it is uh in the in the in the the jungle the the rest of the pack is looking why is this guy chosen one Mm -hmm. i want a piece look i want his i want his spot i want you know so Maybe even within a team, he didn't have the biggest uh, uh, support. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like, everybody, like he's just—he's only got got this because he's he's French and he this and that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's—he uh, it, was in a no-win situation, Danny. Danny yeah. So yeah, I, I, but as I said, I didn't get a chance to know him very well because of the, the, the language barrier and a bit of a division in, in, in the team between the two sides. Right. Uh,
0: another French Canadian, Denny Chasse.
1: Love him. Chaser, I had a chance to play with Chaser later. That's a that's a solid player as you're gonna get. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I, you know, he came into the league like a gangbuster. Did everything. He scored goals, fought, tough, honest. Uh, and we ended up playing against each other in Britain and on the same team where his career ended. With uh, he had a bad neck injury, like a broken spine or something. And he was close to, you know, if he had a wrong hit, could have got paralyzed. But wow. he fought through it most of the time. Then he had to. Eventually, got this point, you can't play anymore. I'm bad head, and you could be, you could be out. But uh, uh, an, an awesome teammate. Awesome teammate. Uh,
0: I, I actually met Dean Zayance, and we're going to talk about your roller hockey international career later on. But he actually played uh, the one year that we had a team here on Long Island. I don't remember the team that he played on, but I actually met him here. Uh, what do you remember about playing with him?
1: Dina was a... One of those, he was, a, I think he was a year younger or two years younger than me. He was a rookie. Um, um, he was tough because Quebec always played a lot, a lot of players on the team. Mm-hmm. And he got shipped off to, to Greensboro, mm-hmm. I think. Yep. And he came back a couple times. Every time he came, put his best foot out there. Great effort uh, and, and pleasure to be around. I He's, you know... Uh, it's 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 tough it's a numbers game and the team sport if you're not given an opportunity or somebody's ahead of you getting that that that, that ice time that you need to develop mm-hmm. it's tough to get get through so i don't i don't even know after i left north america i'm not sure if he kept on playing mm-hmm. whether he hopefully succeeded and landed in a, somewhere where he felt like his skill level would allow him to but uh, uh, excellent teammate excellent teammate
0: uh, Mike Butters I think everyone that played with Mike Butters even if it's for a couple of games has a Mike
1: Butters story what are your memories of playing with him? Love Buttsy very short very short memories he, we were in, we were actually roommates in, in, a, in a Nordics camp in okay. a hotel so uh, Buttsy was a, a, a genuine guy he loved he was a musician too and okay. I remember yeah like, so here he you have a guy that knuckles it up and he's a tough guy but down deep he's got an artistic side to him as well I remember him having a guitar in a, in a hotel room and I'm a big Pink Floyd fan. Mm-hmm. And uh he was playing guitar, so I said, to him, Butsy, can you play some Pink Floyd? And he uh he ripped it up uh wish you were here, the song and oh, yeah? he did it to perfection, man. He, wow. he, yeah, yeah. So uh the short time we spent together was very, very enjoyable, memorable for me and uh, uh I love Batsy. Yeah. Good fun.
0: So the next guy I'm going to ask you about, you have one thing in common and you have another th- that complete opposite. Uh, whenever I ask people about you, one of the things they bring up is your physical conditioning and the same thing comes up when I mentioned Scott Pearson, Scott Pearson also had a tremendous mullet, which I don't think you ever had. What do you remember about playing with him?
1: Ultimate professional. I mean, like he was there to do one thing. I mean, he looked after himself. I remember him being as fit as a, as a fiddle, mm-hmm. but being disciplined in every aspect of his life. Mm-hmm. I was always working hard, always had good, good, you know, my, my physical conditioning was always top-notch, but I made sure that my party life was just as good condition. <laughs> 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 if not better. Where Scotty was a real professional, man. Like, he, he he took that job seriously and made it. I think that he probably got hurt or something. That's why he didn't stick around uh, too long. Otherwise, I, I, I've seen... When I saw him play and how he uh, approached the game, I saw a 10, 10-12-year 10, NHL career easily. I don't know. How many years did he play? I mean, he so, played pro for a long time.
0: Uh, he was up and down. I mean, he, even, he was even in the Islander organization for a season. He played mostly in Chicago with the Wolves, uh, got up here for a game. So uh, I don't know how many NHL games he's had or any NHL seasons, but he played pro for a long time. And now I don't know if you're aware his son is playing pro.
1: No, I've I seen quite a few names that are yeah. guys i played with, that, and I don't know if every one of them is a, their family or sons, yeah. but I see that happening. We're well, at age that is probably, yeah, that's awesome. So the, those genes stayed in the family, yeah. Yep.
0: <laughs> um, two more guys left. Uh, one is Martin Simard.
1: Ooh, Simard, Martin. Tough, tough kid. Um, i first time i met St. Mart, uh I was playing against him i was in phoenix he was in South lake they had a huge team i mean, mm-hmm. they had simartma to gle suburb uh, Hayward like they, they were big yeah. I, I, and we played 100 games against them i was there for two months and we played them 200 times so uh <laughs> i remember him he had skill too he could he could he could uh, score goals uh, once again played with him very shortly so not enough for me to to cast any uh, meaningful judgments or, or comments on Martin, but uh, definitely a solid, solid player, and he was a good teammate. I mean, never had any like, against anything bad about him. That's for sure.
0: All right. So this next guy, you might be able to say something bad about um, a former guest of the show, Dave Marcinicin, and I. I think I relayed your story about Dave pretty well, but I'm going to ask you to relay it first, first person here. But before we do that. Um, Dave gave me a few questions to ask you uh, for some reason, this one on my phone it wouldn 't transfer to the computer, so i 'm going to read this to you, and then you tell me if how accurate that is. He gave me a few other things to ask you, and then i 'll and then the floor will be yours, okay okay all right, so he said Ivan had spent the summer in Vancouver getting ready for camp, and I was in Edmonton. So he came back to Edmonton and we hooked up, of course. I asked him if he wanted to come for a workout with me and he said sure. Now Ivan was in great shape, lean and strong. We did one of my regular leg days and maybe some shoulders and cardio. He showed no signs of slowing down. I believe nothing slowed him down on his on the way that day. So we powered through it and I asked him the next day if he wanted to go work out again. He made up an excuse that He was uh, busy. I asked him again and again if he wanted to come and work out, and he always had an option out. Finally, he came clean and said after the leg day, he could not walk downstairs for four days without having tears come out of his eyes. And he claimed that uh, I, meaning Dave, was insane and could not believe that that was a normal workout for him. Of course it was, and I obviously had a big laugh about it. So we just met up after our separate workouts and went for beers to quench our thirst afterwards and went on our separate ways to training camps at the end of August. So uh,
1: is that story accurate? Accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Mark, Swampy was Swampy, a, a, he worked really hard. And listening to his uh, interview with you, it really opened up my eyes of uh, uh, what the true commitment to profession was mm-hmm. at that age. I mean, I, 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 didn't have it. I mean, like I was naturally physically fit and, you know, lots, a lot of things came natural. And, but these guys like, like him, Scott Pearson and those guys, they worked extremely hard. Mm-hmm. I became that later, which wasn't as meaningful, but it allowed me to play many years past in Europe, mm-hmm. but in North America, I needed to have that attitude that he had. So that, that's for sure. He worked like a maniac, like a horse.
0: Um, i know how fit you are and i and, and people tell me about it how how sick was this leg workout that he did
1: it was everything man like i mean like what was uh like i was always good with just the straight jumps and then like a squats but he had all these things going on side lunges and and, and so these fibers in your legs that you didn't know existed <laughs> got ignited and uh I just didn't enjoy the next couple of days after that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So he told me a few other things to ask you. He said, ask him about his Red Bull addiction while playing in Europe.
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, so when I played in, uh, in the UK, yeah. I got approached by Red Bull wasn't big yet. So, but they came to Cardiff and said, listen, we'd love to have you associated with us. Would you be interested? I said, I don't know. I, I, if I can, like, I have to ask the club. So I talked to the team. The team says no, no, no problem. As long as our, our name is not being thrown around without with it too much, uh, without us getting benefit, then we be okay. So they did, and they start delivering cases and cases of Red Bulls to me mm-hmm. for years. I, I think for six or seven years. Like I mean, through almost half of my career in Britain, I was getting flasks of Red Bull, and I did not know how bad it is. All I knew it made me feel really good. Yeah. So I drank this thing when I woke up. When I had a lunch, when I went out of the, to the bar, so <laughs> needless to say, it is terrible for you in, yeah. in, in, in large quantities. Yeah. But I did it. It, was, uh, it wasn't it was cheap. Like I know, to buy a Red Bull back then was uh, was quite, quite a bit, so I thought I was winning. But uh, <laughs> my prostate is not uh, happy about it so-called so this day.
0: <laughs> and piggybacking off that, he said, uh, ask him how much money he received for promotional appearances compared to pro soccer players.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that was one of my beauties uh, uh, in uh, there was a, there's a company called Seconda Watch Seconda was sponsoring the league and yeah. they, uh, they uh, approached me and Cardiff uh, they, they could use me as, a, as their uh, poster boy so off I go to London for this shoot for uh, Seconda Watch commercial uh, I show up there's another guy no, it wasn't a superstar of soccer, but like well-known name. I can't remember what name was because it wasn't like Messi or or, or one of the huge names. And uh, we're, we're shooting together. And I asked him, hey, what, what are you getting paid for this? And I think he was like 50,000 pounds. It was a two-hour shoot or something. And I got a night out in London uh, with free tap. <laughs> <laughs> I get 500 pounds or something. I go, so the star power was very different. <laughs> I said, let me renegotiate this gig. But it wasn't done by me. The, the league, because they sponsored the league, the the, the they chose me as, as their pinup. So I was, you know, having decent seasons there. And uh, of course, I heard about it. The, I think it's still floating around the internet, All those pictures. I, I'm holding a stick and it was uh, in GQ magazines and then uh, all the big magazines. And, so the boys, I mean, how could you not hear about it? <laughs> in tool, like, nice face. Every game I heard somebody yapping and chirping <laughs> at me.
0: Uh, well, and, and let me just ask you this, because one of the things that came out in your interview with uh, Mike McWilliam is that, uh, I don't know if you still are, but you have a, a watch addiction as well?
1: I No, I gave up on that one. Yeah, I, I did. I loved watches and running shoes, you know, like guys. Uh, Growing up in Czechoslovakia, having nice running shoes was a status symbol for you know like all the young kids. It is now here too, you know. Mm-hmm. So I had, uh, I had always had lots of running shoes and watches. Never expensive. I never went for Rolex or anything like that. But anything from you know hundred bucks to three hundred bucks, uh, I was I was always willing to uh, spend that money and and you know and get bored of it in five six months and get another one. So, but I gave that up. Now I'm. Same Apple Watcher for, for a few years now. <laughs> so,
0: let me. Ask, so you're talking about you doing the shoot, the model shoot. Um, did you start Blue Steel, or was that? Did you follow that? Who was Blue Steel first? <laughs> that's that. <laughs> Please tell this me you heard this. that on the
1: ice. This is this is my Mike McMan. That's Max Max input. Hundred percent. I can <laughs> <think> <laughs> it, I smell it. <laughs> yeah, no, Blue Steel. I'm, that's gonna be my final. I'm running out of money this I'm gonna be suing uh, the, the Hollywood for stealing my blue steel look <laughs>
0: <laughs> well the final thing that uh, Marshi told me to ask you about was uh, the haunted house that you rented in Halifax oh my god
1: I don't even want to go re- relive that I don't want to bring the Azazel over in my house here <laughs> dude this true story absolutely true story the, the weirdest things were happening in that house um, I, I, it was incredible. Pictures jumping off the walls. When people, company was over. TV was the. We had an old TV that you, it wasn't one of those where you have remote control to change channels. You have to change them with a, like a turning the knob, and that was changing. Like it, it was freaky. But we we stuck it out. We stuck it out there. Uh, it, it was going on for about two or three months. Uh, one day there was balloons in the basement. It, it was nuts. Okay. Like, I don't have explanation for it. I don't like talking about it because you don't want to feel like you're a lunatic. And I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't go to, you know, the church, but I'm, I'm, I I I don't have those kind of uh, thoughts very often. But that year in Halifax, it was insane. Insane. Yeah.
0: I believe, I believe in that stuff. I believe, you know, I definitely believe that there could be something to that. Now, my, but my question is now I'm assuming that you guys weren't the first players to rent that house. There had to be players that rented it before you and maybe players that rented it after you. Did you guys not have any advance warning?
1: No, no, the, nobody. I I found that uh, the guy that rented it off was a retired Navy guy. So he had a summer place in Florida Okay, and the house was nice, beautiful house. And maybe that's why it's a cheap, beautiful house with a sauna <laughs> downstairs, a huge room. It was a wicked deal. Yeah. But nothing said in there, uh, you know, bring holy water with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So
0: for those of you who listen to my episodes with Dave Marsnishin, uh you heard me tell a story that Ivan told me. Uh, and actually, knowing that Ivan and Dave are hooking up this weekend and at some point are going to play golf is astounding to me that, Ivan, you would even venture back onto the golf course with this guy. Um, please, for those of you who heard it, you're going to hear it first person here from Ivan. And for those of you who didn't hear it, uh, this is an amazing story. Ivan, please tell us about your uh, your experience with uh, Dave Marsnishin on the golf course.
1: Uh, I don't know if the name is Dave. I think I renamed him after this. His name is Judith now. <laughs> 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 Anyways, uh, Mark Pompey and I, Dave and I uh, decided to go golfing one day in the summer at Edmonton. So we head out to a place called Stony Plain. I think it's about 30 minutes out of Edmonton and, uh, just the two of us. So we load up a card with the beer and then uh, nobody joins us. It's just the two of us following a foursome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as we're playing, beautiful day, we're hoping to get through it faster, but these guys are not letting us through. So, you know, we're being jackasses. We're shooting balls when they're in the fairways, and they still refuse to let us through. So the we, we, whole 18 holes, we're, we're following them. We're on a back nine. We, on a fairway, we run into these old-style phones. This is going back quite a ways. So cell phones weren't very popular. I don't even know what that was. The big old great brick phone. So we pick it up clearly belongs to those guys ahead of us and Dave we had fevers in us, he's pissed off he goes, no, fuck, put in them, put, put in a bag fuck them, so we put it in a bag and we finish our round and guys must have noticed at this point that they lost the phone, so we're having lunch in a in a clubhouse and they wander over to us, like one of them goes hey guys, did you find a phone? And I'm thinking, you know, this is going to be sped out like yeah, we did, and <laughs> he just goes, point blank, no <laughs> I think good. I go okay. Well, I guess it's not. So guy comes back again. Did you guys find the phone? I I think you must have picked it up. We don't have a freaking phone. Beat it. So I'm thinking we're just gonna we gonna throw down or something. Anyways, he goes back to the table. They sit down. They're looking at us, but nothing goes down. So we get up, get in the car, and and Dave has this wicked. All the Grand National, like it was new Grand National, but, you know, in the old days, yeah. it was a beautiful car. Black on black, blacked off, super fast car. I think it was the like fastest production car built at the time. So we jump in, put our shit in, and we head back to Edmonton. So we make to Edmonton, go straight out with this phone, like a, like a, like a Stanley Cup prize. And we are on a patio midsummer making we try to make a phone call phone works so we're calling everybody he's calling new york new jersey wherever he was playing i'm calling everybody i know and phone is working then we get a phone call about two hours into it go hey hey guys where are you <laughs> <I> go, <"Who?" laughs> so we figure out that these, these guys are probably trying to phone uh, call their phone make a long story short we burn this thing till the power runs out and uh, that's the end of it, as far as I'm concerned. Like we you know, we used up our our, our call time. I was a very big wheel in, in, a, in a in a sun Sunday of uh, Edmonton in '90s. You know, <laughs> never felt more important. And uh, then go back about uh, ten days later or so. Uh, I think it wasn't a phone call. I think people actually showed up. I think I said a phone call I knocked on a door, and. Uh, I open the door, and the guy goes, oh, you so-and-so, you, uh, you're in big trouble. You, uh, you you stole the phone. You participated in the theft of a government property. what? What property? I don't have your phone. So I once again, I just kind of brushed it off. Anyways, making a long story short, these guys had traced uh, Dave's car through license plate because he had a New Jersey license plate, it took him about, probably seven to ten days to figure out who we were and uh first guy they came to was him and uh they tried to get out get out him at the same time he 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 sped my name out i don't know (laughs) why (laughs) i'm not doing any crimes with you so so that's how they got hold of me was through him and uh, we had a great laugh about it later um i think that uh Nothing ever came out of it. I think they were just undercover. They were undercover cops and they were probably playing on on, on the government time. So they couldn't pursue any charges or anything else. And we had no, really, if they let us through, would have given the phone back. It was just out of spite that we did it, you know, and foolishness being young. There was no intent to steal property or anything like that. So, Uh, but uh, point taken, I'm not, uh, I'm going to be on my guard this time. We're playing Monday. I'm on my guard and uh, not picking anything. I'm watching him like a hawk.
0: I, I mean, when you told me this last night that you're going golfing with him on Monday, I'm thinking this would be like going at Ken Baumgartner again, like knowing who he is this time, and now you just want to poke the bear. Like you, you understand that you better make people aware of where you are at all times on Monday because you could end up in prison.
1: Uh, I'm 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 bringing GoPro. I'm I'm taping myself <laughs> the whole the whole <laughs> time. <What? laughs>
0: but to i mean obviously you guys you guys are, are really great friends uh so all kidding aside i mean i mean tell me what it was like to play with this guy
1: it was awesome i mean uh, you know is a guy that uh one of many that had the skill level toughness uh never been he, he got pigeonholed in uh in the uh, first place he he got drafted by and uh uh toughed it out and never really had a chance to play and show, you know, showcased skill till he came to Quebec. And uh, you know I don't know if it was by this time too late to, to break into the NHL. There's a certain window of opportunity where you can get in. And uh, it certainly wasn't for lack of talent and, and commitment. That's for sure. Great teammate. Top of the year.
0: All right. So your 91-92 season in Halifax it pretty much is defined by one incident. I have some uh, some quotes from your teammates. I have some newspaper articles uh, that I, I will read to you, but I want to get it straight from the horse's mouth. Tell me about the night in Providence playing against the Maine Mariners, and uh, I guess there was sort of a scrum or something in front of the net, and uh, you got a little too close to John Bice, was it? And uh, just just tell me about that.
1: You know, it was a it was a normal hockey play. It was a there was a shot from the from the blue line, and I'm, as a forward, I'm in front, digging in with the with the goalie. There's a little melee in front, just normal play. And I think that the uh, Bice, John John came off the blue line, and I like it's tough for me to tell. I could not witness whether he lunged at me or whatnot. Anyways, I end up getting a butt end of the stick in my nose, nostril, and got ripped off. So when I when I uh, that happened. It was fucking hurt as hell. So I go down. I put my nose was broken. I'm getting up. I'm, I'm, I'm raging. You know, you got pain, this, this sharp pain. And, you know, like you, you want to get at somebody. So as I'm trying to get up, I see this pool of blood right on the ice. I'm getting up. I'm, now I am I'm, I got pushed from behind a goal line. And there is a, there's you know, a plexiglass behind As I'm getting up. I see this girl looking at me. <laughs> just, just fainting. So I go, oh, God, this is not going to be good. The trainer runs out. And I put a towel on my head immediately, and it goes, "We gotta get, it. we gotta leave the ice right now, right now." So we go, we go into uh, the medical room. We lay, you know, lie down on the table. i waiting for the doctor to come in, and the, the game is on TV. It's some kind of uh, station that they have in New England. I don't know where it was. Um, and uh, doctor's looking at me, and he's looking and, and humming and honing, and he goes hmm, how did you get all the skin missing? And I'm like, what What? What do you mean? So I'm thinking maybe like a rug burn or something. At, so this, go, Let point, me look. at,
0: at this point, do you think you just have a broken nose when you saw all the blood? You don't have any idea what happened, right? No, I have
1: oh. no idea. I just, okay. I mean, it's just a, a, a lot of pain, lots of blood. I mean, I mm-hmm. don't know. I didn't see anything. Yet. Mm-hmm. So when he's humming and awning, I go, can I have a look? So, yeah, yeah, sure. So I get up, I go look in the mirror. Dude, my, like my nose... A piece of my left nostril is gone, my lip is split open, my teeth are, you know, you can see my, my teeth through my gums, I'm going, what the fuck, how is this going to heal? <laughs> like, I'm thinking, like, I'm going to be a freak. So I go back, should we go look for the nose? Yeah, yeah, good idea. So now they go back out um, to look on the ice. Uh, I think Matt Harvey was was playing for for the team. He was traded because we used, I used to play against him when he was with Moncton. He comes in to just kind of look, which was kind of cool, you know, yeah. uh, playing for a different things looks like oh shit box that looks ugly <laughs> plays out um anyways they end up finding that piece of skin bringing it back to the to the medical room and off we go to the hospital and uh we didn't know like everybody's kind of in a shock we we put it on an ice which is last thing we should have done right because it's now getting frostbitten and whatnot and we off off we go to the hospital boston sends their guy uh uh Plastic surgeon to meet us. He comes in, and uh, an hour and a half later, it gets stitched up. As soon as we came to hospital, they freaked, out us what are you guys doing? You should have never put on the ice. Now it's gonna have a frostbite. But they sorted on Nevertheless, of course, it been completely black for about a month, month and a half, and it wasn't catching on. It was stinking like it was. It was brutal. I'm walking around Halifax in Balaclava uh, because he couldn't be exposed to the cold. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm like a IRA. For two months walking on the streets, and eventually luckily it, it catches on and uh it uh it heals but uh, it's a bit sideways a little bit uh but it, it got in there it's not an easy place to reconstruct mm-hmm. you know to, to put anything in there so they said no just stuff it out if this catches it's the best solution to your nose is to have the skin that you lost all right so
0: so, so this is the stuff of legend this is like it, it's almost like um I am am i i can't think of the phrase I'm trying to think of, but I had heard that they sewed it on and they sewed it on backwards and that your nostril hair was growing out the front of your nose and they had to reattach,
1: they had to take it off and reattach it. No, not okay. true, not true. It has been, it, it was, it was sewed on a bit of a sideways, which I, I mean, there were so many stitches. It was, it was a big procedure in such a short period of time. I told the, that guy did a tremendous job, mm-hmm. but it is still this day, mm-hmm. There's uh, there's hairs that I keep picking it, and, they, and they they come from like just the tip of my uh, nostril on okay. outside and uh, it's kind of annoying because I'm sitting in a car and you know when you touch it and you yeah. feel this little sort of cordial hair so I keep picking I I must be known on Lower Mainland Vancouver as this is a nose picker I'm not picking my <laughs> nose I'm just trying to every every traffic light I look look at that guy's four knuckles deep in his nostril but it's just me always trying to plug those little hairs so it's it's like a gift that keeps on giving for the rest of my life.
0: So you're in Vancouver and people are, think they're catching you in a pick, but it's just a scratch. It's,
1: it's Yeah, I'm just scratching or, or you know, just it's itchy and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to pull the little hairs from the side then come up. And All, then
0: right. All right, so let me get to this. So this is something that when I asked some of your former teammates about, of course, this is the first thing they bring up. So yeah. uh, Daniel Doré said, Ivan was an awesome guy, the ultimate teammate, powerful player, crazy situation in Providence, Rhode Island. He lost a piece of his nose in a battle. The missing piece was found in the Zamboni area, but he stayed so calm throughout everything, I couldn't believe it. Okay, so that's from Danny. Killer said, Ivan got butt-ended in Portland versus the Mariners and lost a piece of his nose. I wasn't playing that game, and after they flooded the ice, I went to the Zamboni room, and I found the piece of his nose in the snow, and they stitched it back on. Okay, so I got that from those two guys. Now, the articles that I found... One article says it took a hundred stitches. One article said it took uh, 50 stitches. And I think what happens is unfortunately now I know firsthand how sometimes the media doesn't get things right uh, and they might exaggerate, but one of the articles uh, said, let's see uh, Matulik received immediate medical attention while players and trainers from both teams searched the ice surface for a severed tissue. It was not found. The game resumed and Matulik was taken to the hospital Following the resurfacing of the ice between periods, the tissue was found in the snow of the Zamboni pit. uh, Surgery required over 100 stitches. Um, Let's see. uh, Clement said. told the Daily Gazette, doctors said there was a 75% chance Matulik's nose would heal. So so you beat the odds. I mean, 75 is good, but you're 100%. I mean, you could pick it now. It's not going to come off when you pick it, right?
1: No, no, it's there. Uh, as it's, it's visible that it's, uh, you know, pieces uh, shaped off a little bit, but it, it is, I mean, it, it healed up. I mean, I was never going to have a modeling career or acting career, so it didn't, uh, you know, impede me in any way. And, and, so, like, I... Yeah, yeah. there's worse injuries than that, for sure, that could uh, wreck your life. You know?
0: yeah, except you did have a modeling career after this.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah so... very brief one, very <laughs> brief one. <laughs> All right,
0: so another article, it was probably written by a lady because of the first paragraph, Ivan Matulic's smile can brighten up an entire arena. How about that? But these days, it's hard to see past the nose. So <laughs> it's become a hideous nose. There's a chunk of black and yellow skin the size of a quarter attached to its lower left side by a patchwork of stitches, and he's lucky to have the chunk at all. Uh, and this is where it, it's got a quote from you. I expected the nose to be broken. I saw lots of blood, but I never believed in my mind I could have a piece missing from my nose uh let's see what else is here they talk about the injury uh now see this this article says that killer actually played in the game i'm gonna guess maybe knowing killer he probably got kicked out of the game he was already in his suit by the time this <laughs> happened probably did something to get kicked out uh let's see i didn't see the guy but i was told the next day it was john bison the mariners matulik said uh he flew in from the blue line and just speared me in the face he hit me on the blind side and all of a sudden there was a stick in my nose <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the sequence, Bice thrust his hands at Matulic in an attempt to clear the front of the goal. The glove missed, but the stick landed. Uh, when Matulic was on the ice, the Citadels demanded a penalty, but Stephen Walkham said he hadn't seen any infraction, so there was not even a penalty on the play? No, no nothing. Nothing. Jeez. All right, so let's see. I'm almost done with these. But this is where I, the the cord- I ran
1: in like I read into the vice later. Like I, I, we can we can talk about the asking question, but I, I'll tell you a funny story later.
0: Okay, yeah. uh, let's see. So again, it mentions a hundred stitches. Um, let's see. I'm not sure it will ever be the same. Matulic said. Of course, I got excited when I saw half my nose missing, but I never panicked. We got to the hospital and joked around. Which, knowing you now, I absolutely believe to be true. Uh, let's see, he said the injury is cosmetic and not nearly as serious as the reconstructive knee surgery he had a few seasons back Um, Halifax coach Clement Rodouin said he's angry the league hasn't punished Bice, the supervisor of officials was there and he was mad about it said Clement, but nothing has been done against the player, so this is the quote I like, but Bice will be back in our building so probably he'll have to be careful if he doesn't want to find a piece of his nose missing
1: and he was back in the building it was uh, one of those games that because uh, they were in a different division mm-hmm. it didn't happen for quite a while when they came back i was hurt i didn't play that game um, and uh, my my buddy killer picked up the top for me i mean bice left on a stretchers, uh, courtesy of killer's elbow i mean yeah, he didn't then literally killed him yeah, so he got his uh, he got he got his payback for sure. And I, I told, that, thank Keller, you know, for, I hadn't, I didn't have a chance to do anything about it, but uh, my team definitely did. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth kind of thing. And uh, it had to be done and Keller did it. And uh, I don't know till this day whether that was a intentional, because i would never seen the review and didn't seen it, but I'm just going by what, what's been told. So I'm assuming it was done. So that brings me to the story. I haven't seen, I haven't played another opportunity to play against John Bice for years and years and years. And then until we're um, in Britain and Chris McSorley was a coach of uh, London Knights and he brought John Bice on a team. I didn't even know he did until mm-hmm. they're playing us in Cardiff. So, and knowing Chris McSorley, you know what kind of team he had. I mm-hmm. mean, there, it was bird dog. Banks, Darren Banks, Barry Nightcar, Mike Ware, my, my buddy, where is he left? Mm-hmm. There's at least six or seven legit guys, but I noticed in the warm-up, I see John Bice. Is this John Bice? Fuck. This is, this is my chance. So, as we're skating around, I say, hey, Bice, enjoy your game. This is, this is definitely your last game, most likely mine as well. Do you remember who I am? And that was it. That was yeah. the only thing I said. And Maybe I acted up, acted that more than I intended to follow up on. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I mean, it was just the first time I seen the guy for you know eight years, ten years. I don't know how long it's been, mm-hmm. and it was kind of impactful injury. So I, I did mean some, some, some of it. We go back to the dressing rooms. Well, anyways, I end up getting a letter hand delivered to me before the face off from him that he wrote to give it to head trainer to bring it to me, and I read it. And in that letter, it felt like it was genuine. It says, dude, like, listen, I, I all thought about you many times. I'm sorry I didn't come see you. I was freaked out about the injury as well. I did not mean it. It was unintentional. Please, like, for, for, forgive me, you know, like, whatever. So after reading that and all the time that has gone by, I'm going, fuck. I mean, like, really, is this worth it ending my career or hurting somebody that wrote this? So I, I gave it up. Well, little by new. The whole team on the other, other side of the bench knew what I did, what I told them. So the rest of the game, like luckily I played, I played with, whereas he was my best friend, uh, Bird Dog I played with. So nothing really came out of it. They just were making sure nothing's going to come up. But every shift I had, somebody top here, dude, you do something, you're getting jumped, you're getting fucking shit kicked. So nothing ever came out. I buried it with that letter. I have to retrieve it. It's probably with was, my ex-wife has a bunch of my memorabilia. It's something that it's, it was a big part of my 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 career because that is my association. Association with North America is not any any success on the ice except me losing my nose. Yeah. So this is some supporting document <laughs> that put at peace. So yeah, I have no real feelings anymore. I mean, it's 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 done and over with. It happens, you know. I'm sure he wasn't coming, even if he was coming intentionally not to cause the damage that it, it, it did cause. I mean, it's it's part of our you're in the game. You're in a nasty game that can happen, right? So. I
0: mean, I've seen him play a bunch of times. He didn't really have the reputation. Like, if Alf Samuelson did that to you, then I'd say, yeah, he meant to do it. You yeah. know, guys like that, even a guy like Brad Marchand that plays today, those guys have, I think, would have bad intentions. Bice never really, never really as far as I remember, I don't recall him ever playing that way. And, yeah. you know, it's a violent game, and stuff happens quick. And like you said, even if he did mean to do something, there's no way in hell anyone in their wildest dreams thinks they're going to take off a piece of someone's nose. 100%.
1: 100%, yeah. So it was a freak accident, uh, uh, but, you know, it, uh, it happened. And it's uh, it's good, something to talk about. <laughs> hey,
0: listen, sometimes it's better to be famous for something than nothing at all.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, for sure.
0: <laughs> all right, so... Okay. So your final season in North America, you're back with Halifax, uh, and I want to ask you about two players, one who you alluded to earlier, and I want to get your uh, opinion on him. Uh, Before I ask you about Chris Simon, tell me about uh, playing with a young
1: Dave Carpa. Dave Carpa. Dude, I... I, Solid, solid player right from the get-go. Nothing flashy, and I did know... Because he was an extremely big guy. Yeah. How tough he was, and he was going to make a career of being a hard-nosed defenseman that can back it up in the NHL. Mm -hmm. It didn't really... It wasn't thrown into your face when you first see him. But uh, like one of those guys that wasn't flashy but never made a mistake and uh, um, ended up being a a solid, solid career for for a guy that uh, deserved it, really. I mean, he he put his... uh, most of the grindstone and pay the price and then did
0: all the right things. So, yeah. And then we got to talk about Chris Simon. Now you're, you're playing with a young Chris Simon. I'm sure as, as his career went on and you're watching him on TV with Colorado and Washington and he's got the long hair going and the beard looking like the undertaker. That's an even scarier version than the one you played with. But you want to talk about like a wild horse that really do some damage, but also a really good player. Uh, tell me what it's like welcoming Chris Simon to the fold. He
1: was, was, unreal. That guy was a, had a great skill. I didn't know his background. I didn't follow the junior league. I didn't know the reputation was coming with. All I knew, the guys on a team, other guys knew, mm-hmm. because when we had a uh, rookie hazing party, I mean, he was granted the exempt status. We <laughs> <Like>, were <he laughs> yeah, very <laughs> careful, very careful what was gonna be done to Chris Simon. <laughs> <laughs> And those days, as you know, there was not many rules, man. So so right. the guys were getting put through their paces. I never really participated in it very much because I was exempt a little bit too mm-hmm. uh, through my rookie year. Yeah. And I just didn't want to, if it wasn't done to me, I didn't want to pass the pain on to anybody else. Mm-hmm. But with him, uh, he, he just cruised through it because of it. And I knew why as the season unfolded, I seen him play. Actually, Chris and I hung out a little bit that, that, that his rookie year because our wives uh, were became friends. And, uh, uh, he was, uh, you could see the skill level there. He was a big guy that could put the puck in the net and you could see the room that he was given because you just don't, you didn't know if he's going to bury a hatchet in your head or, or knock you out with the, those crazy lefts, man. Okay. Like, he was definitely formidable player, um, uh, in every aspect, um, good teammate i mean never never really think of ordinary he wasn't a prima donna by any means like well he like somebody that was pretty much destined to be a uh in the show it was just a matter of time he was uh he was great to be around i mean i i liked chris and was happy to see him have a great career uh, some of the stuff he's done probably uh, over the years that's over the top but I'm sure he knows it too. If it was causing an injury, you know, like the stick stuff, stick stuff. Mm-hmm. But once again, it, it is in such a explosive situations, and especially with the job role that these guys play, mm-hmm. uh, are you gonna snap or you have a tendency to snap occasionally? Yeah, it's there. Like you are in such a fine line between sanity and and insanity. You know, to yeah. to, to be to to be at your best and, and be always ready. So.
0: So you weren't throwing him down, getting ready to get his head shaved? That wasn't you?
1: No, no. And then nobody was. (laughs) Nobody
0: was, yeah. Yeah. And knowing him, and, and I was fortunate enough to get to know him a little bit. I'm sure he, like, I wouldn't have been surprised. You guys, all the rookies come out with the shaved heads. I wouldn't have been surprised if he shaved his own head just to kind of fit in with every, not that he wanted to fit in, but just to be, hey, look, I know no one wants to shave my head. I'll shave it myself and just look like that you know so everyone could kind of save face but i'm surprised you didn't try to take him down and just shave his head yourself
1: yeah no me me too uh, how did i not <laughs> take that opportunity man
0: Eight, 18 year old ivan might have
1: yeah none. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and ended up in a coffin
1: yeah exactly <laughs> in the body
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so uh obviously like i said haven't talked about too many of your fights Uh, but when you did fight, you know, mentioned guys. So this year in Halifax, I think, um, you might've had one or two fights and one of them, you didn't go, you didn't go small. You wanted to go kind of big and you ran into a, well, Adirondack always had very tough teams. They, they always had tough teams. Barry Melrose coached there for a little bit. You know, Mac played there for a little bit. So Adirondack was never short of toughness. And one of their guys that was there for a few a few years was Gunnar Tomlinson. So uh, I know you had a run in with him, and how did that go?
1: Well, not really good. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, it th- th- wasn't by design. I was, uh, I-, I had a hard head, man. Like, I mean, I wasn't. Fighting, but I was always willing to throw throw heads and stuff, and mm-hmm. guys would uh, poke at uh, poke at me a little bit. So I got hacked. I think it's Chris Hansel, a really skilled player and yeah. tough guy too, like you know, for his size. Mm-hmm. But he didn't want to have anything to do with me, so he he skated off and jumped on the bench, and off comes Tomlinson, and I didn't know who who he was, right. you know, and he was he was I should have known when somebody comes over the bench says, "I'll be a Huckleberry" with a smile on his face. <laughs> That could have been a cue. That, okay, listen, maybe careful. <laughs> but uh, I I was seeing red. So I go, yeah, let's go. Anyways, dude, till this day, I don't know how he did it. I'm I'm a pretty strong guy. Yeah. I had both arms tied up, and a, a, another arm was coming at me. So I go, I don't know how he managed to tie me up till this day. I told I told Mag, I think he's got three arms because <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do anything. Man, I was like completely locked up. And the only thing that saved me is that his reach is not very long. Right. So I never got hit once. Mm-hmm. So this goes on for not very long. I mean, he, he must have freaking threw it, you know, 10, 12 punches. And I, I did a couple shoulder jerks where I, I like maybe looked like I was throwing a punch, but I, there was no nothing behind my, my attempts. Then the refs came in, and uh, I threw a cheap shot. I, I think I connected one cheap shot, and uh, we went to the boxes and i remember guys coming by the bed you know by the penalty box looking at me dude are you okay <laughs> <laughs> and i'm choked i'm like I, I knew it looked terrible but i had no mark on me I go, yeah. ah, i'm good i'm good so then i watched it later and it, it was uh it was uh not pretty man like he he just unloaded on me but uh, as i said i got lucky because i reach didn't allow me to get punched once so there, there was no mark on me but it looked terrible mm-hmm. it looked terrible so but then, then I found out who he was. I go, yeah, that's a machine gun, you know, Gunner Gunner Thomas. Well, thanks, man. That's, that's good to know.
0: <laughs> Did you ever see the fight he had with Twist in the preseason? No, I didn't. Twist broke his helmet with punches. He hit Gunner in the helmet. It sh- it, it cracked his helmet. Did he? Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs>
1: yeah. No, tough and strong force size. I didn't yeah. expect that strength, man. Like to not to be because I honestly, I could not move. It was, it was. I don't know. Got to, I got to study the tape. How to tie guys completely with one hand. <laughs>
0: you got you had a guy in your locker room that that had three arms, Sergio Roberge. Why didn't yeah, you get some had, tips he had from five, him? Thursday, yeah. Like you yeah, should have got <laughs> some
1: tips from him. Yeah, no, he was the, uh, the Anaconda Anaconda Python man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so before you went to the UK and really where you your your career really took off, uh I think you went to training camp with uh Milwaukee Admirals, correct?
1: Yes. Yes.
0: A- uh, how uh, did you get an invite from them, like a PTO, or was it just an invite? And or did it you know a, it, someone
1: there? It was a PTO. I just I I knew that my NHL dream kind of uh, fizzled out, so I I asked my agent to set up something where where I can make some money. I didn't want to go to Europe. I wanted mm-hmm. to play in North America. And Milwaukee at the time had a independent team, mm-hmm. and they were paying, uh, but they had good players. Yeah. So I was going in there. I was going in dead men walking, unless I did something spectacular in a camp, which I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the the road for me in North America, unless I wanted to go uh, try my you know luck in East Coast or, or one of the lower leagues, which I didn't. Yeah,
0: oh, I'm sure you made more money going over to the UK anyway.
1: Yeah, but it wasn't easy uh, easy transition, man. I uh, end up flying to uh, Britain, shocking up with Wersey, who was already established there and playing. Mm-hmm in uh, in, the, in the team there and uh, I had no bites I uh, you know Mike was calling around and um, I was there for at least two or three well, almost three weeks before I finally got a call from Alex Dampier, a guy from Sheffield which was uh, one of the teams in the league their top league and he gave me a second lease in life which I'm grateful for to this day
0: Uh, Well, before we go any further, I want to say a special thank you to Hockey Fights UK. I'm sure you've seen that YouTube channel there on Twitter. They have so many fights on there from the UK. Uh, I just messaged them and said I was having you on the show, and they sent me so much stuff, so many pictures, so many videos, and I want to acknowledge them and I want to thank them uh, for, for everything they sent me. I'm sure that you've seen them on Facebook – not Facebook, uh, YouTube. Uh, they have quite a few of your uh, of your footage on – quite a lot of your footage on there if you haven't. So I would definitely advise anyone to go check out uh, HockeyFightsUK on YouTube. So that's how you ended up in in U.K. with, with Sheffield. And uh, when you got to Sheffield, there was a familiar face there from uh, Nova Scotia with Selmar Odeline, correct?
1: My brother Selmar, yes. He, he actually came in after me because he was still farming. Okay. He had a special exemption. He what a great guy. So Selma, I love Selmar. So Selmar came in about two weeks after once their farming uh, harvest was done. And uh, uh, he, he finished up playing in a year. His, yeah. his back gave up on him. He was already playing hard when he came in. Mm-hmm. But still was uh, more than capable of carrying the load as much as he could. And uh, just a lovely person. Lovely person.
0: Now, I'm looking at the stats. Okay, I'm looking at the stats. You played 39 games, had 101 points. You had 57 goals, 76 pims. So I go, and I'm like, wow, this has to be one of the... You've got to lead the league in scoring, maybe top five. So I go to the league leaders that year, and the guy who led the league in scoring was a guy named Patrick Scott, played for the Milton Keynes. I don't know if they were the Lightning back then. Uh, He had 180 goals, 139 assists, and 319 points. So... But it wasn't just him. The scoring totals for the top ten guys were ridiculous. You guys did use goalies in the UK at the time, right?
1: Yes, we did. Uh, it was a really good quality hockey league, man. Don't belittle my achievements, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there were goalies in the net, right? No, there, there were. But you know what? It was a uh, the, the the system. It was a it was a free for all. It yes. was it was back and forth. There was no clutching and grabbing. Like it was a uh, it was kind of. Uh, like a high-level shinny. You know, like the, the guys that played there were skilled. I mean, yeah. there were some great, great players. But really, the defense side, defense side of the game was really left alone. I mean, it, so, and the, the quality of goaltending I mean, if you're having two 2-0s two and 2-1s on, on you and, 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 you know, nonstop, there's, 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 there were some high-scoring games. So, yeah. by no means, league got really good later on with it turned to ISL. Mm-hmm. But the, the first year I was there, uh, there was really just two, two lines, like two top lines. That the, the third line was kind of made up of of guys that uh, played a little bit. But yeah, so definitely that output was reflective of the quality of the, the game that was there. Right?
0: Yeah, one of the names I remember, and I, I, and, uh, I might have been when I when I interviewed Mac way back when we were talking about British hockey, and I, I, one, it just stood out to me, and I remembered it was Hilton Ruggles. That guy always seemed like he put up these banana numbers, like two, th- two
1: hundred points. Three, like, did you play against him? I played against Hilton, Yeah, he, uh, he always played on a good teams, and he was yeah. a big guy that he loved uh, being in front of a net. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was, he was always in the area where he could, he could put the puck in the net, and he was good at tipping and, and, and cleaning up the rebounds. So yeah, he he made a really good career with uh with the skill set that he had for sure.
0: Now one night against. Uh, Nottingham, there was a player named Paul 80, am I, if I'm saying his name right. Uh, you you had a fight with him uh, round one, you did very well at one point you uh, you went rogue and you grabbed a hold of his hair, which I'm sure he didn't like uh, round two, right out of the box and you pretty much hammered him and uh, someone who I'm going to mention in a few minutes uh, who's a monster fan of yours said that That could have been the start of the Sheffield-Nottingham rivalry was your, uh, that night with you and Paul.
1: Yeah, no, that was, uh, that was, yeah, it was my second game in the UK and we were playing in Nottingham. Mm -hmm. And this is like a, you know, one of those barns that's got about, I think it's about 4,000 seater, old, netting, stinky, people smoking in the stands, it's (laughs) packed, and, and British fans are awesome. They're just, uh, you know, Nottingham had a really, really good following, so, uh... It was a lot more than I expected. The game was very intense. Uh, maybe the skill wasn't wasn't the best, but the uh, the heart of the lions there's Everybody's flying around. Everybody's trying to take my head off. And Paul was a Canadi- he's a Canadian boy, a good good, good, good good player and and strong. Not very big, but played in the eye. And so I was getting frustrated because everybody's taking runs at me. So we ended up tussling the the first time around. And he was very strong, so we. we I, we, I couldn't get loose to throw throwing punches, so I got frustrated. I was trying to get him off me, and I grabbed his head. Not my proudest moment by any means. And uh, so that was a uh, kind of ugly. And then we went to box the second time. We just he wanted to. He was at home, yeah. and he was a you know in in that league a reputation of being tough. So he wanted to put the record straight. And I came up on top. I had a size size advantage, and then uh, I came you know conditioned being in North America for three years. So it wasn't like he was. He was fighting somebody that just came off, uh, you know, Eastern European uh, pleasure trip. So, yeah. so, but it, it was it was it was uh, something that made me fall in love with British hockey because the hatred that it was immediately gained and, and next following games we had, it was uh, it was a big rivalry that started uh, for sure and carried on yeah. and that carried on way more and, and guys that were way tougher than me ended up fighting many many bottles later on.
0: I don't know much about him, but I he seems like the kind of player that if he was on my team he'd be one of my favorite players.
1: Paul Eighty? Yeah. Yeah. No, he was uh, he could score. He uh he backed up his uh his stuff, so he was he was honest, he wasn't cheap. Yeah. He was just uh we, we just clashed in the moment of, of, of the of the game, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah.
0: Now I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I'm going to take a take a guess here that the next season you were in edinburgh and i'm gonna assume that mike Ware had a lot to do with that
1: um actually we were gonna yeah mike was in edinburgh he was gonna come to sheffield but sheffield and i couldn't agree on on uh, on the numbers Mm -hmm. and i end up going to edinburgh while he was on the way to sheffield so he (laughs) ended up bailing on sheffield even though agreeing and we both end up playing in edinburgh which was one of my favorite seasons um of all time like i mean the team was a small cap team i, I had a chance to play with tony hand uh, mm-hmm. i mean just a gem of a never mind the fact that he's one of the best players in the world in his in his you know area and uh just a genuine guy and we had a great group of guys so that was it was a it was a great great year set my career up really for uk playing with tony that year
0: yeah so you led the team in goals which is pretty impressive that you're playing with tony led the team in 87 goals in 44 games uh only 80 assists though you were only third on the team in assists so you were definitely a guy with a nose for the net and you were second in points behind tony normally you think a guy with 167 points is going to lead the team and yet tony had 207 points and you were third on the team in penalty minutes this without ever watching a game from that period it just sounds like it would it would be a fun fun league to watch it just sounds like a lot of fun
1: it was it was awesome that's why the, the fans loved it. players loved playing in it you know like uh, uh yeah definitely not all fundamental level skill level was 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 unbelievable that, that's for sure but but yeah. it was exciting there was a lot of a lot of goal score there was a physicality uh, so it had a bit of everything you know it was it was it was fun
0: so you had a pretty cool summer job that year when you head back to Canada. You uh, dressed for nine games at the Vancouver Voodoo of Roller Hockey International. How did that come about?
1: You know what, guys that that played in in the UK were playing on these teams, and they said, "Dude, you should come and play. I mean, it's a fun. Dude, we're like, gonna have fun. Let's do it." So I eventually broke down. You know what? Like, why not? I'm gonna go out there rather than spending you know money on a golf course and in bars, maybe, maybe, make make up a couple bucks and. Uh, and uh, have some fun so I went to Vancouver um, and I played certainly nine games but it was just a matter of time before I kill myself or I kill somebody <laughs> I could never fucking master those 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 blades mm-hmm. I was too 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 like my style wasn't for it so I did okay I mean I was getting points and they, they wanted me to stay but I said dude I can't my real job is hockey mm-hmm. and it is just uh, every shift here I'm potentially ending my career somebody some poor bastard is gonna get killed by me yeah <laughs> By yeah. accident, not even on purpose. <laughs> right.
0: Well, I've heard, you know, we, like I said, we had the team here. We had the team here, the Long Island Jaws. We had them for one year. And uh the, the boss in charge, Phil DiGatano, uh I'm friendly with him, friends with him. So he was on my Islander show. Phil's a great guy. Uh He had played in the league with New Jersey before he took over uh, the Long Island team. And guys that have played in the league, like I've asked them about just the going from, you know, ice hockey skates to the roller hockey and they, I think, I most of them kind of say it was easier going from the ice to the roller, but going back to ice was an adjustment. Is that what you found as well,
1: Joe? I, I, I only played probably one month, month, month and a half. I first time I stepped on the ice, yeah. I was in Prince George. They had a shinny, and I know I didn't know anybody. There were some players up there yeah. that, that played pro and stuff. Mm-hmm. I felt like I have never skated. I thought, and it took me at least a week. To start feeling like like I can actually skate and play the game. No kidding. It was unbelievable. Like I, I, I thought I'm done. I just, I just finished my career by playing nine games in, <laughs> in Olaf. It was that much of difference, and and yeah, regaining your balance and and just even stop, ability to be, to be able to stop mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was a challenge. So yeah, I found it very challenging to make that transition.
0: And were were you there? Was Craig Cox on the team when you were there?
1: No, Cox, he wasn't. Yeah, he was gone. Okay. Um, yeah was Tiger Williams in charge of that team? Yeah, yeah. He yeah, he picked me up at the airport, brought me to uh, the place he got from me. So yeah, he was Tiger was a good guy, man. Like I I have, I, I liked Tiger. He was fun, you know. He uh he was good to hang out with.
0: So, um the following season you go back to the UK and now you and Mike both end up in Cardiff. Um how did that come about? Were you guys both free agents and they wanted both
1: of you? You know what? It was funny that uh, I was when I was in Vancouver playing the voodoo actually gave me the opportunity to, to set up the Cardiff job. Uh, they came in to sign Cardiff Devils coach Paul Heavey and one of the senior players came to Vancouver to do a tele, telecast because they were signing Randy Smith. Okay. Uh, a, good, a good good player, played for Team Canada, I think played for either Springfield or something, a good, good player. And uh, they knew we were playing for voodoo, so they came to say hi. And we ended up going out to a bar. And coach Paul Heyman and I start talking, and we're doing shots and slammers and stuff. And he goes, "Dude, why don't you come play Cardiff? And I go, "Hmm, you know what? Greatest team, and like that—that that was one of the best teams in, in the league." I go, "You know, I would consider, it, but I—I I don't come alone. It has to be a package deal, me and he? Mm-hmm. So he goes, "Done. We'll, we'll talk numbers tomorrow." So. That's how it came about, and sure enough, we, uh, we agreed within two days. I called, where is Dude, you're coming. We're going to Cardiff now. And uh, he goes, well, hang on a second. If you're going to Cardiff, we've got to bring my brother. So I told him, he's there's an, another pa- another package deal. So three of us ended up signing. So Mike, Greg, and myself all signed in Cardiff. Uh, we signed two-year deals, and then uh, it became the most enjoyable part of my career. Anyways, I stayed there for eight years, and I would have stayed 80 if I could.
0: Uh, one guy that was there when you played there was a former NHLer, played a ton of games in the NHL. Was Doug Smell? Did you get a chance to play with him at all?
1: Yeah, Dougie. Yeah, I played with Dougie for a little bit, uh, and I also met him in uh, in a, in the a camp in uh, in Quebec. I believe was he in Quebec? I think he was in Quebec. Actually, yeah,
0: yeah, he was. Yeah, so yep. That
1: was the first time I came across uh, Dougie was in Quebec, and then uh, we played together in uh, in Cardiff for a few games. Ultimate professional, solid, solid man.
0: Now you had mentioned the the UK fans and one of those fans is a friend of mine over there named Chris Watkins uh, he he was a season ticket holder uh, you're smiling I hope you remember him, but I want to tell you what he said about you. Then uh, Chris knows I'm an Islander fan so this is where the comparison comes in. Uh, he said Ivan is an absolute hero in Cardiff. We're talking Clark Gillies' levels of adulation and respect from us fans. He was and I'm sure still is an absolute specimen a leader warrior gentleman and a hell of a player always had time for the fans in terms of fighting. He was never going to be the team's top guy, but he would never be expected to as he was a top six scorer. but he would fight when needed. And no one is ever really going to beat him as he had the strength of an ox. And if he hit you with one of those huge, huge mitts, I'm pretty sure it hurt. He played for us six straight seasons from 95 to 2001. I was a season ticket holder, uh, each of those seasons and due to how small and close-knit the game is in the UK you'd meet and hang out with the players after every single game in the rink bar at home and also away so back then he'd know 100% who I was but that's over 20 years ago he'd hopefully recognize me face to face in the ho- in the right hockey surroundings in Cardiff for example he would definitely need a picture to put uh, the face to the name but please tell him that Gagsy Chris Glynn and
1: the Cardiff Posse all say hello. Thank you so much, man. Those <laughs> those those guys were awesome. The, 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 yeah, every one of those guys I do remember. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's many years have passed since I left Cardiff, but uh, as I said, tell, please tell Chris. Thank you so much for the kind comments and uh, genuinely the best time of my life. I, I loved playing Cardiff uh, in Cardiff and being a Cardiff devil. Every every <laughs> night coming out on that ice was a was a, was a blessing, man. Like just, I just loved being there. It was it was awesome.
0: And the following season in Cardiff, now, was this 96-97? Is this when it became the Super League?
1: I believe so. Like, uh, yeah, first year we were just uh, the elite league there, the, the highest league, and then they turned the Super League. Inaugural Super League was the second year in Cardiff. You're right. Correct, yeah.
0: You played with the player who, unfortunately, is no longer with us, but going back to what I said about the roller hockey, he actually played here on Long Island uh, with the Jaws, and, and I, uh, we spent a lot of time there, my wife and I, uh you know, we, I knew Artie, their equipment guy, and uh, Phil, like I said, Phil and I hit it off right away. So we actually had uh, media passes and we had access to the players. And I have to say, Brent Pope was just a, a terrific human being. What a wonderful guy uh you know spent we didn't spend the summer together obviously but whenever they were home we'd always see them and uh they all had housing out on the island uh they put the team out in this one place and my wife and i were able to go to a few of the parties and brent was just an unbelievable person and you got to play with him this year and actually i if i remember correctly you guys actually duped it out a few years later so uh what are your memories
1: of brent Popper was one of my very close friends i mean uh he uh, larger than life personality uh not everybody knew how to take him but if you knew how to dig in and and, and understand what he's about mm-hmm. you you wouldn't have problems with him but he could grab people in the wrong way at times mm-hmm. but I tell you uh, as solid of a teammate as you're gonna get mm-hmm. uh, nothing but good things to say about popper you know i mean the uh the uh you know, it was so sad and so quick that everything happened. I I tried staying in touch with him um, throughout it until the later stages where he clearly kind of just kind of cut it off and then was focusing on his own family and, and all that stuff. But uh, um, nothing but great memories. I mean, I mean, we did have the, you know, uh, we play against each other. It's a yeah. game. Uh, you're going to, you know, you're going to get in the scraps. We we, we didn't help gold grudges afterwards. Of course. Uh, it did happen. So, I mean, uh, um, very sad, man. Like i mean just made, made me maybe made me think of him, and uh, he was a big part. He came in part you know, portion through the season, and then it was a big addition to our to our uh, success. You know, to, to to be able to lift the trophy that first year of ISL it was a very very good league. So mm-hmm. that's that's that was one of the huge accomplishments for sure
0: one of the players whose name came up that I saw when I was watching some of the highlights, and obviously his name jumped out to me, because even though I believe he was French-Canadian, it's pretty obvious that his roots go back to uh, my, my roots in Italy. Uh, tell me about Vizio Sacratini.
1: Bezzi, what a, what, a, what a beauty. Uh, now, there is a guy that uh, has a ton of skill and a grit. I mean, this guy, not many people i played that wanted to win and hated losing more than Bezio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I just loved it. He was a he was a walk-on because he I didn't know who he was. I mean he played in, in Italy, he played mm-hmm. the university hockey in, in Canada. So when we were prior to that season we had a training camp in, in France and he says we have a guy coming in that uh look at the resume. Like he was kind of bouncing it off. Me as as one of you know senior guys and I said, well do we that that looks good. So he showed up immediately. I said, "Did sign this guy?" And and he he did sign, and he was a immediate impact in on on the first season and many seasons to come. I think he must have put eight nine years there too, or maybe even more than I don't even know. But uh, great player. I ended up playing with him on the line a couple of years, two or three years. uh, Just uh, solid. His wife cooked for me many many uh, pregame meals and dinners just a, just a pleasure to be around and, and uh and definitely a winner like if you if you if you want to play with a winner he's one of them
0: i think you just described most of us italians you know pleasure and winner i think that it's uh contagious there you go. it's contain <laughs> it's in the blood i think you know so uh when i when i saw his name i'm like well i definitely got to ask about this guy so uh now Chris explained this to me. I've had guys that played over there. I'm sure Mac explained it to me. Uh, Matt Nickerson, a friend of mine who played over there after you retired, he's explained it to me, but I getting it through this cement up here, this thick head of mine, it was, it was extremely difficult, but I think Chris may have helped me out. And it's these tournaments that are over in Britain. and, And I said, you know, kind of break it down for me because here in north america you play the regular season you play the playoffs then you play the championship and the way he explained it was the championship you won that year would be like the the title like it's the major, it's the regular season title and it's the most important one it's not a tournament title so it, it, this would be the equivalent of say winning a championship in north america
1: correct yeah okay the reason being is because uh, the playoff format over there is very different to North America. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, here clearly whether it's uh, NHL, or NBA, or, or NFL, the, the playoff is really, really hard. It's NHL especially and NBA because you play in these series of best of seven. Mm-hmm. Over there, the regular season is fifty plus games, so really that is a reflect reflection of what the best team is because you have to be good for fifty plus fifty plus games mm-hmm. in the playoffs. The playoff is—it happens so quickly that the playoffs is over two or three weeks over there. You you, you play three games away, three games at home, then make the uh, final weekend, which there's only four teams make it, and it's a two-off games like that. But you have two semifinal games and a final, mm-hmm. and given night, uh, hot goalie, a refing, you know, like a lot of things. It's it's not a true reflection of the who the best team is. It's a, who is the Johnny on a spot on that night. Right. Takes the playoff, and I love that we 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 won we won both of them. Yeah. But really, I think it was more of an achievement to win the league than playoffs. Okay,
0: yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. I, I, it, maybe it was just my my stupidity. I could never get it, but Chris really explained it to me. And that year was the one you won the championship, and you were first uh, first the league all
1: star, I believe. Correct. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, we won. The, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah.
0: So that there's a great picture of you holding up a trophy in the red Cardiff Jersey. Is
1: that, was that from that league? Was that, that that championship? No, that was three years later. I think that was the playoffs. The playoff one, the Okay. Playoffs, playoff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: So as we go to the next season, that's where the, the reason why you and I now talk is because now the addition of Mike McWilliam. And, uh, now I, you would have played against him, correct? In the American league. You would have played, he would have been with, uh, with St. John's and you would yeah. have been with Halifax, uh, he didn't kill you. Uh, you. You never wanted to pick on him back in the American League days?
1: No, he didn't make my roster. My, my, my pick up roster.
0: <laughs> so, so what, and now listen, you've had a pretty good bodyguard there for a couple of years of Mike Ware. Uh, and, and like I said, I think what was Mike Ware the reason why you started seeing these Super League teams bring in guys like Mike McWilliam. And it seemed like around this time people were bringing guys in and then you have Mike come in, and it seemed like Mike was running that league at the time when he was on your team. And then I think after that season with with Mac there in Cardiff, it seemed like teams were bringing in more heavyweights from uh, North America.
1: It, it got insane, like it really did. Like, the, like, uh, yeah. But the ISL was the beginning of the of the influx of of tough top guys coming in from North America, and it got to the point where. As I said, London had five legit, legit heavyweights mm-hmm. uh, backed up by three middleweights that could play, mm-hmm. and uh, big names. I mean, when you look at the roster of ISL and even later years, uh, it was a uh, it was a very very tough league. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think there's still is quite a few tough guys playing there right now. I see yeah. that still intense. There's still fights happening. So maybe not to the level of ex NHL or I- AHL guys like right. where then Mac came in. I mean, talking about Enforcer, I mean, that guy was money. Like, I mean, he he was the ultimate shepherd. Like, and he, he, he took care of that team in every respect, uh, allowed guys like Bezio, Sacratini, and then some skill guys to play. It uh, was, uh, he, he was a lot of, lot of fun to play under his watch, for sure.
0: So you had never met him before, right, before he was your teammate? You played against him, but you never met him, so you didn't know anything about him as a person.
1: We met years and years prior to that in Edmonton. Versey and I were, uh, before the camp started, uh, prancing around in some club in Edmonton, and Mac, Mac uh, and uh, McClellan, uh, uh, two Macs showed up. Yeah. So, of course, I knew uh, Kevin, and uh, I knew Mike McGovern from playing against. So we were kind of hanging out at night and, and had fun. And then uh, that was the last time I saw him in a friendly environment until he signed for Cardiff then we played against each other. He was in St.
0: John's, right? Yeah, see, the thing, thing about Mac, and I, I, I tell this to people, Chris Simon has this presence about him where he's this mountain. But when you talk to him, he has that low voice. He's got that deep, low voice, and it's very calming. And I find Mac to be the same way. He's this big, scary-looking dude that'll break you in two at the drop of a hat, but he's got that deep voice, calming voice. It's like, just stay on his good side.
1: Yeah, I guess it comes comes with the fact that they know mm-hmm. that there is not many, many threats coming their way. Right. I mean, if situation arises that they can, you know, like sometimes the barking dog doesn't have much bite. In right. This this is the reverse situation where guys like that, they just know, dude, if yeah. I decide to do something, I know I can handle you and your friends and and, and their friends. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time. <laughs> At the same time. So uh, they don't need to be barking in, in uh stuff but uh yeah no i have nothing but utmost respect for mike and we became great friends we're still hanging out Mm -hmm. uh just a genuine good human being with uh with a a gift of a skill that uh was tough tough blessing you know because he had a lot of skill too that guy could play man so once he showed his other skill the toughness that he can provide to a team all that other stuff was taken away from him. But he, I remember him playing games in Cardiff, where I go, this guy has sweet hands, yep. scored some beautiful goals, uh, made some nice plays, So, but he knew what he got signed up for, and that's that's what he did. He just uh, took that as a number one priority to safety of the team.
0: Well, before you saw those silky mitts, I did uh, remember the conversation you had with him about his first practice with Cardiff. Uh, do you remember that?
1: Oh, very well. <laughs> <laughs> Could
0: you tell the people about Max' first uh, practice?
1: So we're we're starting a. This is a first meeting together, and Paul Heavy love like a great guy, great coach, and uh, comes up with this maybe over ambitious drill, uh, where you know you have to have a walkie talkie to know where you're going, <laughs> and of course. It ends up in a disaster. Mac gets hammered by one of the guys, Corey Mullen, because they're both looking the opposite ways and going pretty hard. They're going pretty fast. So they get up and brush it off. Nobody got hurt. Luckily, everything is good. No, three minutes later, I I hear this. You know, I, I, I see Steve tortovanas coming out of the net and losing an edge, sliding right into Mac. And I see this, like, it's like a train collision. You know what's going to happen? It's just in slow motion. And you can't, doesn't matter what I do, if I yell, it's too late. Right. So he takes Mike's feet right from under him, and the whole 240 pounds of him goes up in the air about six feet and lands on his back. I go, dude, this guys definitely went out of, knocked out of him. He, he gets up immediately, breaks his stick over the glass, and storms off the ice. Like it's over. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's done. Yeah. So we're like, we're stunned. And I go... He comes to me, he goes, well, why don't you go tell him uh, to come back out? I <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay, why me? You find him. <laughs> you go in there. Yeah. I'm not going in there. It's like some like, caged honey badger in there is going <laughs> <friggin'> to attack me. <laughs> yeah. But um, long behold, Mike was down there and he was feeling bad about how he left. And uh, so he was feeling the same, you know, like I'm embarrassed, i want to come back out. And so um, he ended up coming back out and uh, ended up being uh, one of the 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 best enforcers I ever played with and then best human beings that I know.
0: Did you ever see him snap in a game? Did he ever just, did someone push the wrong button and have him snap?
1: Yeah. 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 But he would never go do anything crazy. Like he would never have to fear Mike uh, chopping somebody in the head with the stick. He he would go and want to punch him out, punch Mm -hmm. the lights out and and wouldn't be happy until if he didn't succeed the first time to, to his satisfaction, he will be, knocking on the door the next game, next shift, right, you know, until the guy succumbs and just says, okay, you, you were the king, you know, like you, I'm not going to do anything bad anymore. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> so aside from the fact that you were the guy that had to go in and go get the honey badger, how much of an honor was it to be named captain of the Cardiff Ice Devils, Cardiff Devils?
1: Loved it. I mean, uh, it's, uh, we had lot, we had lots of great leaders on the team. I played with, uh, with many many, many uh, talented guys that provided leadership, so uh, to be named a captain was a that was a very proud moment of my my career. And then I took it seriously, and I I tried to, at most part, lead by example and all that stuff. Was I always perfect? Probably not. Um, in fact, no, I wasn't. But it wasn't for lack of trying. You know, I tried to try to do everything I could in best way I knew how to. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Uh... I don't know a lot about everybody that that was on that team but it seems like the core of the, the physical guys mac being obviously the undisputed heavyweight on the team but you had guys like brent pope that played physical you had guys like frank evans and ian mcintyre yourself too i mean not that you're going to drop the gloves but you're going to be hitting everybody in sight and if shit hits the fan you were going to take care of it it seemed like you guys had a good core where the rest of the team could always feel comfortable out there where even if it was a guy that wasn't a physical player and even if mac wasn't on the ice maybe frank was on the ice or brent or ian where someone could come in and, and take care of things
1: definitely what well, this this kind of uh, core top group provides is that it gives you kind of your team a DNA how to play play hard that you can play the same way doesn't matter what the circumstances are and I think that that's how we become a good team when, when teams are playing you and you you, you know you go to Cardiff or Cardiff's coming to your your ring mm-hmm. you know talking about us specifically yeah. but it could be any other team mm-hmm. you're gonna be in the same game greedy if, you, if you're gonna win and beat us, you got to know that you played us and and it was it was and it, it's provided by this group core group of guys you know they, that bring that character and accountability and uh it definitely was part fun part of it for sure uh so a couple of fights i want to ask
0: you about from your, the playoff season that you were the playoff champions um in the, in the regular season i think it was uh you had a pretty good fight with uh, jared sakuski do you remember that one
1: yeah yeah no Jared was a was a Nottingham player and he was uh he was tough he was taking care of business for his his team mm-hmm. He's uh he, I think they brought him there to, to mix it up and uh I was playing with uh, Vizio and Stevie Thornton uh, most of the year and they were very skilled players but not very big guys mm-hmm. so that, there was no their attribute to be fighting. I think Mac wasn't playing that game mm-hmm. uh, if I remember correctly if he was suspended or something and i, I think Jared hit I, i'm pretty know I've seen that fight Jared hit. Uh, Stevie, not once, but twice And the second time, I just took exception to it So we, we, we dropped him, and then we fought I think we only fought once I don't think I didn't. don't think fought again no. yeah.
0: and, and in the playoffs uh, Against Manchester, you fought Blair Scott uh, Lots of wrestling in the fight But you overpowered him to the ice But you seemed pretty mad in that fight Or I don't know if that was just adrenaline Or did he do something that prompted that?
1: I I think he, he he slashed once again, it was Steve uh, it was Bezio, Bezio was causing his, his shit, which he did uh, I loved it, he was in, in people's faces so he was probably he probably hacked him a little bit and then I seen Scott uh, Blair Blair uh, hacking Bezio and of course my I thought my job was to be kind of in there to make sure that Bezio feels safe and knows that somebody's going to be there so we went at it and Plus, we were not playing really well that game. I mean, we got carried. We were the the, the top line, and uh, we were not doing much. So that was kind of a little bit of frustration as guys as well. Because when I sat in the box in the second period, our, our our second or third like third line, Merv Priest and uh, Nicky Chin was our top guy, local guy, mm-hmm. lit it up like they carried us too. So it was frustration as much as anything else as well.
0: So one of the things that Chris told me, and I guess this was the impetus to that picture we were talking about, uh, was when you won the the playoff title, obviously you're the captain then, and you scored both goals in a 2-1 win over Nottingham, and he said the game was played in Manchester and it was sold out with 18,500 people capacity. I mean,
1: thinking about that, do you still get goosebumps? It was unreal, yeah. No, it was, uh, you know... The going into that kind of game with all these guys on your side, I mean, I, I remember every face and, 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 and the excitement I've seen in how, uh, when we won, how excited the other guys were. It just, there's something about winning as a team that's unbeatable. You know, mm. if you're winning a, a tennis match or you want to win a championship, you're sharing it with you, maybe close family and, and maybe a trainer or something or a coach. But when you have teammates going through the season and, and, and you know, putting their bodies online and, and he comes off, and he win that trophy. It is—it's unbeatable. Like it's—you can't—you can't replicate that feeling. It's, it was awesome. That picture is
0: unbelievable. That is such a great picture. That's amazing. Thank you. Um, and and just so everyone's listening, for, especially for the UK people, I'm not deliberately blowing through the the U, U, UK easy for me to say again, the UK portion of your career. But obviously for me, it's easier to have seen the North American side. And you've done a lot of interviews, a lot of podcasts about the UK thing. So there are plenty of people that were in the UK at the time, that have shows that have a much more detailed look at that part of your career. I'm not trying to blitz through this, uh, the UK portion, but I just, I wasn't there. So I don't know. I, I can only do so much, but I want to make sure I at least acknowledge the, the amazing career you had there. And, and talk and some of your teammates there. So, uh, yeah, I just want, I don't want the fan, you know, and fan, not fans of the show. I mean, UK fans, uh, to, to think I'm, I'm not giving it. It's just due. Um, in 1999-2000, uh, no more Mike McWilliam, uh, two guys joined the team. Again, we're talking about characters. Unfortunately, one of them is no longer with us, recently passed away, Todd Gillingham uh, and Aaron Bowe. What do you
1: remember about those two guys? Dude, both larger than life characters. Like, start with Gilly, God vs. Soul. Uh, Gilly sit next to me in a dressing room, uh, you know, talking about the guy that made a career with a limited skating skills just through hard work and determination and his body on the line. wasn't European hockey. Wasn't really his cup of tea because there's a lot of large ice surfaces. Cardiff was okay. We're a small barn, but a lot of the big rings, he, uh, he, uh, you know, he wouldn't enjoy that, but was always there for us to back us up. And, uh, um, only lasted one year. Um, and, and I haven't spoken to him after that much. Uh, maybe a couple of messages on a Facebook and stuff. And then that's End into uh, his, his life uh, recently. Um, so, yeah. That's Gilly. And uh, uh, Aaron Ball. Very short spell in Cardiff. I tried to rein him in. I, put him, <laughs> I brought him actually to live with me. Uh, because I knew that this guy was a super talented guy. Fun guy but complete wild cannon so i uh as a captain i said dude do du come live with me and uh even that didn't help i mean i couldn't keep uh keep brains on him and, <laughs> and eventually did something but team just had to part ways so
0: and then your, your final year in cardiff uh did, were you responsible for bringing mike ware back
1: no where's he signed in in cardiff uh before me i went back to manchester and then then team collapsed um in manchester so i ended up back in cardiff playing with my brother verzi again and uh being in a city that i love so mm-hmm. uh, he he uh he signed there before me that that last turn so um yeah i i followed him in there after manchester went through bankruptcy um
0: and also in uh the 2000 2001 season you played with a guy that anybody north american fight fans know uh Chuck Norris, Clayton Norris. Uh, he he's one of those guys that seemed to to uh, have a really good good career here in North America, and then finished up over there in the UK. Really tough guy.
1: Actually, I got, yeah, Chucky. I lo- I love Chucky, and I got my timeline com- uh, co- confused. Yep. So yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm I'm past it. So Chucky came in, fitted in like a glove, and talking about gladiator. This yeah. guy also loved fighting. Mm-hmm. I mean, he he. Was never gonna back out of any fights, uh, and uh, we had a tough team that year. Where is he, Chucky, Denny Chasse, uh, McIntyre? yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a. You went down the line; it was tough. So, Chucky, once again, only played with him for one year. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable teammate. Um, I think successful in his life after as well. He's, he's living in Calgary, in Alberta, somewhere, doing something with the uh, with the native uh, development and all that stuff, uh, finance. So. Now, Good. did you think
0: you were going to retire in Cardiff? Because I, I would have figured you'd be a lifer there. But then in uh, 0-1-0-2, you find yourself in Manchester.
1: Uh, yeah, there was an unfortunate situation. Uh, you know, the team went bankrupt. And uh, um, I did want to still play in a, the highest level. Mm-hmm. So I ended up signing really late with Manchester Storm and uh, moved up there to, to you know, keep my ISL career going.
0: And you were captain of Manchester, and you played with two guys uh, well familiar with people that like the physical side of it here in North America. One of them was Justin Hawking. What do you remember about Justin? Justin,
1: uh, great, great guy. Mm-hmm. I, I just he came in, and we were struggling as a team, and uh, he 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 was the scapegoat. You know, I mean, he was a, a defenseman that was playing in the North American Hockey League. It was a bit of adjustment for him to play. Uh, in uh, in a European style uh, ring. And of course, because we're struggling as a team and Manchester was used to winning, they were looking to point fingers at somebody and he ended up getting the bullet. So, uh, yeah, it was very short time. I think I was only there for like, you know, maybe two months. A month oh, okay. I always took it personally and I felt bad because. I, you know, the, the, there's not a bad person that I ever came across in hockey, and, and yeah. he was dedicated. It just—it's just the nature of that nasty side of the game that, that you know. He's sometimes that company. This is
0: a, and and the next guy I want to ask you about. This is one of the toughest players you ever played with. Didn't have the size of the Mike's. He's not as big as Mike Ware. Not as big as Mike McWilliam. The heart is the same size. I definitely want to, wouldn't want to meet this guy in a dark alley. Paul Ferrone
1: that guy's a killer. The, 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 the genuine best pumper pump fighter I have met. We're best friends still till this day. He lives in Vancouver. Don't see him as much as I as I'd like to, but what our families. is, he's got four kids now. But but Joe, like this guy is legit. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I would put this guy up against anybody no matter what weight class, on the on the ice, off the ice <laughs> and nicest guy, you know, another guy that would not try to start you know, disturbance of any shape or form, but he can definitely end it quick.
0: Oh yeah. He did an interview and I know he doesn't do a lot of interviews. Did an interview with my friend Darren on his podcast, fourth line voice. It was great. I, I've always been a fan of Paul, seeing him play in Syracuse, watching the the fights from uh, the old Western league and everything. And uh, I, I know how tough he is. You you had some pretty good bodyguards during your career.
1: Very, very blessed. <laughs> yeah, yeah no. Very blessed.
0: So, um, Making uh an, a team you you folded Albany and now you're in Manchester. They go they go bankrupt. So you, another team that you uh you uh send down the river there, they they withdraw <laughs> so they go so what happened? They went bankrupt too, is that what happened?
1: Which which one's
0: that? Uh Manchester.
1: Man- Manchester, yeah, Manchester went bankrupt. Yeah, it just the game we weren't playing. Um um very well. So the the fan support kind of died down. The arena was huge. Like the arena is eighteen thousand seat arena, so so the rent to the to the, the cover that cost was uh significant. Mm-hmm. The owner ran into some other business issues himself, so he didn't feel like he feeding the lost cause and he pulled the plug. all. So, and
0: then uh did you guys get like dis- was there like a dispersal draft or you were basically all free agents and that's how you ended up back in Cardiff?
1: All three agents, yeah. all three agents. So uh, uh, when that happened, uh, one of the guys that I played with Manchester was, I told him the to sign in, in Cardiff, Russ Romanek, ex-NHL guy, and he came to get me right away. He goes, dude, like we won, you know, like all the guys got together. We were, you know, they, they, everybody took a bit of a cut to get me there. I felt kind of felt bad but this uh, is, just please come down. Whereas he was there and, yeah. and Blair Scott was on the team. So I ended up playing with Scotty at that time. And uh, I sat me to Capeca. It was just, we had a great group of guys. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so, um, Your final year in, in Cardiff, I want to ask you about uh, a player who played here, again, American League, IHL, North America. I think he's actually a scout for the Islanders now, is Dennis Maxwell. Maxie, yeah. <laughs>
1: what do you remember about him? Yeah, you know, flamboyant, uh, good skill, technical fighter, fast. Fast, you can throw him both hands and, and uh, uh, a lot of skill. I mean, he, he scored like he, I think he was a, either second leading goal scorer or leading goal scorer. and like he, on top of fighting, he could provide uh, a, a good time, ice time, and then play, he play power play. Um, yeah, no, I had a lot, a lot of fun. I called him Zoolander. He's always uh, very nice close, So I, that was like a Zoolander was my nickname for him. Wait, and, uh,
0: you called him Zoolander, you're Zoolander.
1: I know, but i i I tried to shed that so I, I, I i passed the, passed the demon onto him that was just me and him I didn't call him that was that was' it was me calling him that so,
0: okay and I, I know your time in Italy wasn't long, but obviously as i said it's the it's the motherland I'm curious how did you end up going to Italy
1: you know uh, i uh, met my current wife Kelly and mm-hmm. I was so entrenched with my lifestyle in 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 Britain, Cardiff especially. Uh, I did enjoy the nightlife and everything else. And, and Kelly, and I met at the age where we I was in late 30s and so was she. And I knew if I had gone back to Cardiff, our relationship would not survive because uh, I was still wanted to go out with the boys every night and all that stuff. So so, escape to Italy wasn't really something that was a uh, hockey driven. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ended up that way as well. You know, like, as soon as I stepped away from the lifestyle that I really enjoyed, the city that I loved, I realized that the game, the love for the game had expired. So I was, you know, I came, injury came in as well. I had a, a meniscus uh, cartilage surgery and NHL went on a strike and I, I ended the career right there. Jason Chimera became available. I told, told, told the team, like we're, we're done. We're, we're, I can. And,
0: and that's it yeah that that was it you were done playing you, you, no regrets right i mean maybe you, it could have ended better but as far as you stopping no regrets
1: no regrets man i wish I would have ended in Cardiff and then would have been able to say goodbye to to the fans and then, and then the lifestyle but i mean that, I, I it ended up being a great thing i have two beautiful children and, 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 a, and a loving wife and and, and helped me to, to, you know sometimes ripping that plaster off your your your, your blister is, is the best thing to do because it's tough to tough to walk away. So this one was rapid, done, no more, no mass, no playing, done. Uh, Get it done.
0: Beautiful children, they must look like their mom. <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh going back to Cardiff, uh, I guess, I don't know, it was a few years ago, they did their all time team and, uh, you were voted, uh, to be a member of that team. And, and Ivan, I know how much you appreciate, appreciated your time there. And I know how much the fans meant to you. And this was a fan driven team. It was voted by the fans. So I can only imagine how much that meant to you.
1: It was very, uh, yeah, I was very proud of that. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad that that's how I was viewed when I was there. Um, best fortunate you know surrounded by great players that uh have helped me to be a player that i am and uh and fans just made it atmosphere that's unforgettable i mean i i I just as i said can't say enough good things about cardiff
0: all right so ivan first of all i want to thank you we're we're pretty much we're about four hours in and uh, we've covered your career uh before we get to the um the crescendo here i uh the last question I usually ask people is, is there anything about your career that I forgot to ask? And again, knowing that I I don't, I I don't have all the uh, availability of your career in the UK, but is there anything I didn't mention that you'd like to to tell the people that are
1: listening? You covered everything that uh, I can think of. Uh, What I want to tell people is just thank you so much for uh, your support, you know, from from my junior days all the way to my retirement. I mean, there was a lot of people that I met over the years. Some of them I remember. Some of them I don't stay in touch with. But everybody that I came across was very supportive and uh, uh, was very appreciated. Whether it was a teammate, fan, um, uh, support staff, uh, everybody in in, in, in team, team environment makes a difference. And uh, I had lots of great trainers, coaches, coaches. Uh, yeah, it just you, you got to be blessed to be able to play play the game for a long time, as I was fortunate to do, and uh, it wasn't all just me. It was a lot of people that were part of it. Opportunities given by reviving of careers and then continuing it. So yeah, thank you to everybody. It was it was awesome.
0: This is something that I've never done with any of the guests before, and, and it really uh, the origination of this this part of the show. Uh, Ivan and I were were texting maybe a week or so ago and and i I love sending gifs to people and I sent whatever we were discussing, I sent a gif of George Costanza, and you answered back, "Oh, I love that show, it's my favorite show, my favorite show. Uh, I will go on record. it is one of my favorite shows. It's actually my second favorite show, but I've seen every episode like a million times to the point where I drive my wife crazy. so but I do love the show, and I figured since you're such a big fan why don't we compare our top five episodes to see if any of them match if any of them overlap so uh, i have my top five and i and we'll do it from five to one okay so uh, i'll let you start what's your number five seinfeld
1: episode number five i mean i'm a big fan of kramer's character as well as george's so uh, i would say number five for me would be foundation kramer does <laughs>
0: Yes. <laughs> and for those for those who are not as maniacal fans as as Ivan and I, that's where Kramer is in a karate class with I think they're like 10-year-olds.
1: <laughs> he's, he's running the class. He's the
0: <laughs> class champ. <laughs> that's until the until the end when they get him in the dark alley.
1: Yes, exactly. Sick down for real.
0: <laughs> okay, my number five is the junior mint. And I love that episode, and I do like the Junior Mint storyline, but more so I love that episode because that's the episode where Jerry can't remember his girlfriend's name. And the only hint she gives him is that her name sounds like a female body part, and that's where Mulva was created. So that is my number five.
1: I almost made my list. I almost made my list. That's a good one. Okay, Okay, what's your number four? Number four would be uh, my, my favorite boy, George Costanza, building his own uh, napping station at work. The nap.
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> I like that one, too. I think that was on here. I mean, they were always on here. Uh, that's a good one. Didn't make my list. My number four is the library with the library cop when Jerry has the overdue book and uh, the library cop's name is Bookman. And I think the episode is great, but I think the thing I like the best about it is when Bookman is going on his long tangents and for Jerry, it looks like Jerry's actually doing everything in his power to not just burst out laughing. Yeah. Like it looks like he's trying to hold it in. And I think that was that's my number four. I love that episode.
1: That's a great one, and I imagine they had that situation happening almost every every uh, recording because they're, it's unbelievable how, how good they are. Absolutely. Go on, number three. Number three for me would be the uh, George Costanza and the opposite. Okay. He'll do something completely different this time because nothing he's ever done as I worked out.
0: <laughs> there you go. Absolutely, Again, a great episode, and I was actually talking about this with one of my friends who's a Seinfeld junkie, too, and that's his number one, I believe. Uh, Didn't make my list. Probably would if we did a top 10. My number three is the pool guy. And again, it's not even so much the pool guy storyline, but that's the episode where George talks about his worlds colliding. Independent George and relationship George. And right from the beginning where uh, Susan wants to hang out with Elaine and Kramer walks in and he tells Jerry, this is going to be a problem and then the, the whole episode where george has to explain the world's colliding uh so it is the pool guy episode but it's definitely my number three more for the world's colliding aspect of the episode
1: that's a, a good one i do know that one i've watched it many times love it number two and number two for me is once again george at his best at the party uh, the fire scene i mean I, oh. I i i just can't i mean that that thing just kills me and i watch it i'm, I'm in stitches
0: yeah another great one of course we don't match my number two is the caddy and the caddy episode i like for many reasons most of all that's the best jackie Childs episode because you know that he is that jackie Childs character i think he was only in three or four episodes but he was so great in all the episodes and that's the one where with uh kramer where he has to put the bomb on I believe that's the Balm episode. And yes. uh, also that's the one where George's car is at Yankee Stadium. So they think, they think he's the first one there and the last one out when <laughs> Steinbrenner goes to his house and George's mm-hmm. father freaks out about him trading Jay Buhner while George is trying to tell him that his son is dead. So, so that's my number two.
1: Nice, nice. Okay, number one. Um, once again, I'm just going to have to go with George. I just love him. Uh, the heart attack, the holistic healer oh, <laughs> Tor. Uh, Tor, exactly <laughs> where he looks like an eggplant. <laughs> yes, when he goes. Uh, that that team on his ambulance with that red face. I, I I I'm I'm dying.
0: Yeah. All right. Now my number one, and if if people look online for like top twenty Seinfeld episodes, my number one never ranks even in anyone else's top twenty. But my number one is the English patient because I love the Mandelbounds. I think the Mandelbaums in that episode. That was the episode where you meet Izzy Mandelbaum. Then you meet his son, who is older than Jerry, and then you meet Izzy Mandelbaum's father in the hospital. And that's where you get the you know the lines that were in later episodes. Oh, macho head games, and that's where Jerry puts them all in the hospital because they're trying yeah. to lift things, and um, just they're down in Florida with the ki- where. Uh, Kramer thinks that Jerry's bringing up the Cubans and they end up being Dominicans and they end up working at the magic pan. So that episode doesn't rank, I think, in anyone's top 20, but yet, and, and the English patient part of it also makes me laugh with Elaine, how everyone loves it, but she can't stand it. So yeah. that is my number one Seinfeld episode. People think I'm crazy,
1: but that's my number one underrated for sure i love that one too no i could watch timefall 24 7 for months man like i do if still so, do till this day that's my go-to sleep and I unwind am yep. uh, go-to yeah. but i think it's the beauty of the show
0: is that here here are two big fans you and i we come up with our top five episodes and we don't have a single match
1: no and you know what they could probably change you ask me in, in a week or two and i may have to dig up another that i i you know a love so it's just great great writing you cannot change ivan this is
0: recorded for forever this is the the ivan matulik top five uh, top five seinfeld forever it cannot be changed
1: i'm sticking by my episodes, man that's it Dan. i agree
0: Oh, Ivan, this was this was amazing. I got to be honest with you. You're someone who I admire a lot. Uh, uh, You know, forget about the nose thing. I mean, that's a traumatic experience in and of itself. But I told you the whole, the whole story about you defecting at 18, because I put myself in that position and think about myself as an 18 year old. And I think I was more responsible than a lot of my 18 year old friends, but I was still a goofball. Like here at eighteen, you're making a decision that'll change the rest of your life and you and to me, your story is something I respect so much. And uh this was a lot of fun for me and I really, really want to thank you uh for giving me the time. You're gonna be late for work today because of this, but uh I, I just wanna say thank you again and and I hope that the listeners enjoy this as much as I have, uh be, having the chance to chat with you.
1: Joel, thank you so much. As I said, honored to be on your on your Show as a guest. I know your story uh, very well, and uh, we could open up another five-hour conversation regarding that. And uh, very proud of, uh, to be your friend. Call you my friend, and uh, yeah, appreciate the, appreciate your time as well.
0: So Ivan, my plan is to meet you in person. What we're gonna do? I'm gonna have to come out to Vancouver, and then we're gonna head to Dave chizowski's place because I don't know if you know he's a—he he doesn't post much on Instagram, but everything he posts is what he cooks, and he, the stuff he—he he, he loves to cook. He looks like it's amazing. So we gotta—I gotta stop by your place, pick you up, and then we got—we gotta head to Chizowski's place for some food.
1: Deal, man. Deal. Going on a trip. <laughs> We'll we'll eat him out of his house.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ivan, this was amazing. Thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you in the future. Thank you very much again.
1: Likewise, Joe. Thank you.
0: All right. Take care. Bye now. Bye.